available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And by now, you guys know, this is the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We do want to hear from you. We got a lot of emails, Dave, people talking about the Pac-12 Conference. There's some interesting things happening. We got to recap all the games from Week 10, preview all the games from Week 11, and we do want to hear from you. So podcast, if you want to email the podcast, it's pac12podcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd rather call or text us, we got some texts this week, 424-532-0678 is the number. If you want to hit us up on the Twitter machine, at Pac-12podcast, and the website where you can find all of our contact information, all the old episodes, Pac12podcast.com. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, all that stuff. Subscribe and rate us, please. Five stars are awesome. We love that. Tell a friend about the Podcast of Champions. We've been doing this for, I think, five years or so now. We don't make any money. We're just, we're having a good time with it. It's just fun for us. We love talking about the games. We love talking to all you guys. It's a labor of love, Dave, I think. No, no, don't, don't, don't mislead people. Ryan, about the amount of money we're making. We're making big bucks here. That's okay. Like, I, I think you sent me for like a three month period, like 150 bucks. <laughs> See, there you go. For, like, our, our ad revenue is pretty robust stuff. Yeah. I, I, is that a subtle reminder? I got to send you some more. I think I do. Look, so. I'm not, I'm not here. <laughs> I'm not here trying to remind anyone of anything. No, really. I mean, it's 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 this isn't this isn't a lucrative endeavor for no, anybody. It's not. Um, we got a couple more five star reviews, but I will say this to the people out there. Um, I'm always looking on my phone. I opened this up on my desktop. I see that we're actually rated a four point eight out of five, not a pure five out of five. Huh. It rounds up on the phone, but when you look on the desktop, you see the real stuff. So, I mean, what that means is we need to get some more five star ratings. Yes. Um, but we got two more, uh, pretty short ones. Uh, one from George S, uh, five-star kicker, like the recruiting rankings. You think you're getting a five-star when in reality, it's just a kicker. Dan and Larry can occasionally nail the walk-off field goal commentary and become local heroes for a night. But most of the time they just miss the PAT five-star out of five-star would keep listening to thanks an Oregon fan that knows a bad kicker when they see one. All right. So that's after last week when, uh, when they're. Their, their their very bad kicker was relied upon for a game-winning field goal. Yes. Um, and then uh, WSPSLC says, favorite college football podcast, great podcast, informative and funny. Ryan and David bring a deep background in the Pac-12 and fun, witty banter. Keep up the great work and go Utes. All right. Yes. Love it. That was just genuine and positive. Great we stuff. We like that. Yeah. Sometimes they're very... Uh... Eccentric. I mean, there, there, there's some really good reviews. We do appreciate that. Like Dave said, five stars are awesome. Really uh, love to see that uh, when we look at the apps and stuff. So thanks for doing that. Um, little 
uh, background stuff, David. We got an email from our buddy Matthew. Did, I thought the suicide pool pool was over. That you were. I you, thought so too. Yeah. So Mark won. Um, he won the pool, but what he, what he's been doing is still sending in his picks to stay alive, and he's still alive. So Matthew sent us an email. So uh, he's tried to make it all twelve weeks because there's twelve teams. So far, he picked Stanford. They defeated Arizona. He picked UCLA that beat Colorado. He's only has two weeks left to get perfection. Um, and the two remaining teams he has are Colorado, uh oh, and Washington State. Colorado has a bye in week twelve, so he has to pick them to beat Stanford uh this week. So You know what? Colorado can beat Stanford. You think? They can beat Stanford. I mean Stanford's not great. If if there's one game you had to pick them to win this year, I mean, ideally it would have been well, who did they actually beat? It remains insane that Colorado beat ASU, by the way, on the road. Very, um, yeah. But yeah, if you're picking a game, it would be that Stanford game at home. Yeah, that's at home. <clears throat> they could have beat USC at home a couple weeks ago. Arizona at home, I guess, would be the other contender. But Arizona and Stanford are, I mean, they're they're pretty equivalent at this point in the season. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, so that's awesome. So maybe he can get perfection. What does he win, Dave, if he gets if he's perfect if, if he's perfect? Uh, eternal valor, um, eternal yes. honor in the uh, in the halls of Valhalla. Um, there, there's a lot. Nothing yeah. tangible, as we, we get, talked about. This is not a well-funded show. No. Nothing tangible. We um, could we could ha- have him on the show or something. Talk to him about it a little bit or something. Maybe. Or he could leave a voicemail. We'll play it. There we go. Just now like, we're talking. Yeah, that's that's a little easier. Yeah, now that's that's a little bit less um, requiring any logistical forethought. <laughs> We don't want that. Uh, no. Pac-12 players of the week. Uh, any guess offensive player? Would you want to guess one? You always do this to me, and no, I have no guess. Tyler Huntley. Uh, oh, yeah. You yeah, remember him? He's right. a quarterback yeah, for yeah. Uh, Utah. Pretty Utah. good football player. He's pretty good. Uh, they beat Washington. So good for Tyler. A uh, couple of ducks for the other two. Um, so Brady Breeze, he's a safety for Oregon. Had that pick six against USC. And then Mikael Wright, uh, freshman, uh, he's a cornerback and kick returner. He had a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown right after that uh, pick six, or soon after that pick six. So a couple of big plays, non-offensive touchdowns for Oregon late in the game, and they get two players of the week. They also had the offensive lineman, uh, Calvin Throckmorton. Uh, so I guess he was the highest. Usually they just give whoever has the highest you know, pro football focus grade. But I don't think he had allowed a single pressure all game in that one. So good for him. Uh, John Penasini for Utah gets the defensive lineman. Uh, I think he forced a fumble in that one. Had like a, a sack and a tackle for loss. Uh, Utah's defensive tackle. And then for the freshman, it was Omar Spates, the uh, freshman outside linebacker for Oregon State. And I think he had a forced fumble as well, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, congrats to all the uh, Pac-12 players of the week. Great job, guys. You will be honored just as um, our winner of our uh, suicide pool. Yeah. Which is to say, with nothing real or or substantive, but your names will be remembered for at least a few hours. We've mentioned this name a bunch of times, all their names. the AP poll, only two teams, Oregon number seven, Utah number eight. I think Washington has uh, receiving votes in there. We both did well uh, on our um, our picks this week, Dave, so that's not bad. We we had 
only four games. We picked two differently and we split them. Uh, we both went three and one. Uh, and and the the two that we had together, we actually yeah we crushed it. So good stuff. You're back above 500. I'm still struggling to get there, but a good week for both of us there. I don't know if there's any yeah. other, any other news. No, no, I don't think there's anything else. Uh, this all looks old. Okay, actually, what's in our doc? So okay, no, I didn't. I, I didn't see any other uh, news. News um, probably tangentially uh, news would be Willie Taggart getting fired at Florida State. Yes, um, kind of a shocking firing, I would say, in year two. Um, and he's been a year three coach, like generally throughout his career. It's sort of year three when when Taggart's teams make their leap. And Florida State was better this year than last year, um, so it that's a that's a bold move. Um, and he had like a I don't know like a twenty billion dollar buyout, something like that. <laughs> yes. Um, so I I have to imagine that's gonna any coach any any teams that are still thinking about firing their coaches, say in the Pac-12, say in Los Angeles, say oh. USC, uh, they might want to get a jump on because uh, Florida State's an attractive job, and um, you know they might be in the market for uh, just you know spitballing names, but somebody who's a current analyst for Fox. Who knows? That would be. I think their president or somebody came out and said that they wouldn't hire someone like Urban Meyer, like they, like they wouldn't hire Steve Spurrier, like because you know he was a Florida coach. Does Florida State want to hire that kind of person? But as if as if that's the reason not to hire <laughs> Urban Meyer, right? I, there's no other reason for, you know. I can't, can't think of another one. So, yeah, it's it's changed the timeline for sure because the early signing period. Like, you can't wait till the end of December or early November or early January to fire a coach. If you know you want to fire the coach, you just got to do it. You just got to rip the Band-Aid off and do it. So, uh Florida State decided that this wasn't the direction they wanted to go, and it's ra- you'd rather just take your medicine now and move on. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. We've seen more of it lately, but we're going to see a lot more of it. Yep, for sure. You kind of have to do that. Uh, all right, we got our new power rankings. It's pretty much a mess after one and two. I mean, it's there's a lot of interchangeable parts, but you know, I, we saw some teams – that maybe weren't good in the beginning of the year, playing better now. There's there's it's there's a lot of movement, um, which is good. We wanted to change every week, and it, it did quite a bit. Um, so you ready to uh, jump in, Dave, and do our Pac-12 roundup? Born ready. Born ready. All right. Uh, my voice is like going weird. Um, number twelve, we have Colorado Buffalo. And uh, they were taking on in the Rose Bowl are now, and I don't know if you can believe this, number four team, UCLA Bruins. Yeah, and this for me, it's it's really a top three because I still think Washington's a cut above the rest. Um, they've just gotten, I mean, they've they've lost a lot of close games, um, but everyone else after that, starting with UCLA. I mean, who even knows on a given week? Um, UCLA beat Colorado 31-14. Um, it wasn't competitive. It wasn't like UCLA, you know, scored late to make it a, a, a you know, a 17-point margin. They pretty much held them at 17 points length most of the game. Um, it was pretty much a comprehensive win for UCLA. They didn't do anything spectacularly well, um, but they did everything kind of well. Um, they ran the ball kind of well. 46 carries for 200 yards. They threw the ball kind of well. 
28 attempts for, uh, I think it was about eight yards per attempt. Um, and defensively, they held Colorado, which had been a good, if inconsistent, offense to this point. They held them well below their averages and pretty much everything. Um, there were some caveats. You know, Colorado was without Alex Fontenot and um, LaVisca Chenault was talked about as if he was fully healthy before the game. He did not look fully healthy in this game. Um, he sat for large portions of the game, um, but kind of sporadically got in there. So I don't know if he was on kind of that pitch count that he's been on in other games, and he just wasn't making as much of an impact when he was in there. Um, but whatever the case, he was not clearly not at 100%. Um, Steven Montez, who had a good game last week um, against USC, was sort of back to his old habits in this one. Um, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of just kind of running aimlessly and throwing the ball away, not very accurate. And a lot of it was due to what UCLA was doing defensively. They were getting a lot of pressure on him. Um, and, but the thing is when you're a senior, um, pressure can't get to you the way it does say, uh, you know, say what UCLA did the last couple of weeks to Jaden Daniels and, and Jack West, that can't, that can't be happening to Steven Montez. Um, not at this juncture of his career. So disappointing, uh, for Buffs fans, I know. Um, but you know, bright spot, I thought Jer- Jaron Mangum, he looks like he's going to be good and, and given much more of a load in this game. Um, I saw more from him in this game than I had seen earlier in the year. Um, and even with Chenault out, um, or limited, I should say, um, Tony Brown, again, whenever Chenault's kind of out, Tony Brown steps up, um, and he had a nice touchdown catch in this one. On UCLA's end, it's just, again, that that kind of resurgence they're doing in the last three games. Um, obviously, some of that is the the quality of defense that they're playing against has gotten a little bit less than what it was at the beginning of the year. But the main difference is UCLA has gone to this attacking style defensively. They're, they're much more of a single gap team up front now um, than they were before. And guys are just kind of getting into the backfield. Oso Digizua looked great in this one. Um, Odua Isabor is playing a lot more inside. He was previously last year, he was a, a stand up end slash linebacker. And now he's, um, playing some nickel defensive tackle for UCLA. So they're doing a lot of stuff to try to get quickness on the field and get upfield and attack more. And that's just setting the tone. And then there's just been kind of just a moderate progression for the offense basically every game. But um, it wasn't a perfect game. UCLA probably should have scored more. There were a number of drops. Um, but when at this point in the year, when it's uh, nine games in, and suddenly UCLA is at the point where it's beating teams by 17 and you're walking away saying, oh, they probably should have, you know, beaten them by <laughs> even more. I mean, that's that's a sea change from where we were uh, three games ago with this team. So you'll take it. Yeah, for sure. And it was 17 nothing in the first quarter, I believe. And then it's sort of just like holding on there. I think Colorado scored. It was like 17-7 going at halftime. And you felt like UCLA could have kind of stretched it a little bit, but sort of just kind of kept uh, – Colorado at, at arm's length and and did really well. I mean, it's this is a problem for Colorado. 14 straight games giving up at least uh 30 points. So that's that's a big deal and you know, is this are you are you thinking Steven Montez might be benched at some point here or what do you think? I at this point I don't know if there's much of a point in it and I'm sure they don't want to yeah, it's his last 3 games of a team that's not going bowling this year. I don't know that there's much point in doing that. Now Playing the other guys a little bit over these final three games, I think that makes sense. But look, I mean, Montez, I mean, if I was like a Colorado person looking at this year, yes, there's some frustration with him. But he's also been a four-year starter. 
just I mean, let him play out the string. Yeah. Let him see if he can find something going in the next three games where he still has a chance to make an NFL roster. I don't think he does. I don't think he's improved throughout his career. And I know he was talked about as an NFL prospect preseason, but I'm not seeing it. And no. I'm not an NFL talent scout by any means. But see what he can put together. I mean, at this point, it's more out of you know loyalty to the player who's kind of stuck through some bad times than it is is this team going anywhere? Um, Tyler Lytle and Blake Sandstrom, they should get reps, and I think they should play, you know, give them a few series in here um, throughout uh, the final three games, but I'd still start Montez. I mean, two games ago, I think you could have made that choice um, to see if you can spark something for Colorado to make a bowl game, but now that that feels out of reach. Yeah, five games in a row, losing, not a good deal. Uh, The injuries continue to mount Colorado, had two freshman cornerbacks on the field at one point, and both of those guys were playing wide receiver in their preseason camp. So it's uh, that's they're kind of mixing and matching back there. I you know I still have confidence that Mel Tucker is going to be able to do some good things there, but for right now, uh, it's not looking good. And ending the season with Washington and Utah not pretty. They got Stanford at home next weekend. We talked about that, so we'll see if uh, that's that's their best shot at a win. If you can see the LaVisca Chenault that we saw against USC and the good Steven Montez, they got a chance. But if they you know, look like they did on the road against UCLA, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. This is a game that uh, we both got right. Five and a half point spread. Uh, we both took UCLA. So this was a, we crushed this one. And I crushed it with my bookie because we got to talk about my bookie. During the fall, we all look forward to weekends. Even more than usual because we're rewarded with something we all love, college football games. So we got those Pac-12 after dark games late on a Saturday, those Thursday and Friday matchups. We got a Friday one coming up this weekend. We tune in for all that stuff. And it's not just the Conference of Champions here. There's NFL games. There's all kinds of great ways to enjoy football because it doesn't last forever. There's only three or four weeks left in the regular season, which is crazy. So if you want to bet on some of these and get some action in before the end of the season, do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the latest payouts, fastest payouts, better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. MyBookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play, and you should too. So make sure you check it out. So if you join now, uh, go to mybookie.ag. They're going to double your first deposit. So use promo code PAC12 and you can activate the offer. That's promo code PAC12. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, David. Yeah, we we got paid this past weekend. We did good. We did. We did. Not too bad, uh, you know. You know, and over the course of the year, you're only... Probably down a few thousand dollars now, right? Right. I've I've made it up a little bit this past week. Yeah, yeah. I've had more yeah. winning weekends than you, but uh, that that first week really just crushed it. Like that's the whole wow. Thing. What a what a stat! I've had more <laughs> winning weekends than you. Yeah, that's good. It's all about that record, baby. That's all it is. <laughs> Don't talk to me about your success rate. I've been much more explosive. Nice. That's what I'm saying. I like that. All right. Well, let's move on to our uh, next game. Our number eleven team, Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> And I don't know if we've ever done this before. Uh, so they were hosting our number six team. Oregon State Beavers. What? Number six? I feel like there might have been some early season wildness one of these years where, you know, we're always looking to give the Beavs some love. Um, so it might have been at some point. 
but this does feel like it might be a uh, a, a real high water mark, and maybe not even. Maybe they get even better from here. Uh, Oregon State, uh, fifty six. Arizona, thirty eight. Uh, blew them the hell out of the water. <laughs> Uh, this was 35-19 at half, and yeah, it got a little interesting in the second half. Let's not let's not completely call it a blowout because you, this you know was, who was favored in this one, David. Uh, Arizona by six. Yes, we both took. <laughs> I mean, we crushed this one too. We both took Oregon State. I mean, that's ridiculous, but yeah, yeah. And so this one got interesting a little bit in the second half, um, simply because uh, Arizona. Jumped out and scored a couple of touchdowns um, to make it 42-31 uh, with about 320 to go in the third quarter. Um, but they were just not consistent enough offensively to keep up with what, with what was an Oregon State offense that really Arizona couldn't stop. Um, I think they had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 drives, and they scored touchdowns on eight of them. Whoa. That's... That's a pretty good rate. That's a pretty good rate. Um, one of the big things for this game for Oregon State was Jamar Jefferson was kind of back and fully healthy for the first time, um, and he looked great. Uh, three touchdowns on 22 carries. Artavis Pierce also looked really good. He got up a little gimpy at one point at the end. Um, I don't know what his status is or if it's anything major. You're always seeing running backs get up a little bit gimpy. Um, but the story for me is really Jake Luton. Um, he is... Uh, Really looking good. Um, getting that, whatever it was, his ninth year of eligibility yeah. up up in Corvallis, that was a really good one for him. And, you know, he can transition from this, like, directly into Medicare. Um, but <laughs> it's it, – I mean, he, he's been really, um, really phenomenal, and he was great in this game, um, just putting the ball wherever it needed to go. Um, Isaiah Hodgins was also great. I mean, Arizona just wasn't playing defense, really. I mean, the, Oregon State was basically able to do whatever it wanted. In 68 plays, they had 572 yards, which that's a, that's that's not great. That's not great. In 88 plays, Arizona had 526. So they took 20 more plays to go 50 fewer yards. Um, so that's just – that's not keeping up. Um, for Arizona's end, um, Khalil Tate really didn't play a much in this one. Grant Gunnell – Gunnell? We're going to go Gunnell. I'm going Gunnell permanently. No, that's um, it. Yeah. Yeah, he's just Gunnell from now on, okay. from now into eternity. Uh, he was much, 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 much better, um, and he should probably play every snap going forward because Arizona still does have a shot at a bowl game. They still have something to play for, and frankly, they're in year two um, for Kevin Sumlin, which means he's got to start convincing some people that, um, you know, the issues so far have been something else, have been someone else's fault. Um, so if he can pin it on Marcel Yates and Khalil Tate, then great. And he can say Grant Gunnell uh, is the answer, and uh, it was just a matter of getting him up to speed, and now he's up to speed, and that'll be great. Um, but that's going to, you know, that that maybe is what he has to lean on. Um, but yeah, this was, Oregon State just looks like clearly the better team. They were able to generate more stops. They were able to get more offense. Um, it was just a a thorough win from a team that's probably just fundamentally better than Arizona right now. Yeah. So uh, Arizona's got a bye week. I'm, I'm anticipating only seeing Grant Gunnell going forward or you would say Gunnell, Gunnell, but um, I think it's really Gunnell. Gunnell. No, but he's a quarterback. It should be Gunnell. Okay. It should be Gunnell. Like it should be a gun, you know? Gotcha. 
uh, I think Gunnell is still, still a gun in there, but it's just, um, yeah. I, but I feel like that's the direction they're going to go now. I think we saw our buddy Jason Shear tweet something like that. Like this is basically the end of the Khalil Tate era, something along those lines he tweeted. So it, it's a shame. You know, you wanted to see he's such a dynamic player. It was always fun to watch him, but it doesn't, it seems like that career is, a, is pretty much over in Arizona. Not his fault. He wasn't playing defense. I mean, that first half, I, I mean, it was like seven on seven for Oregon State. It just didn't look like Arizona was putting up any sort of resistance. I think they allowed a late touchdown, like under 10 seconds left. The, the Arizona defense was just, it was just bad. And Oregon State gets another win. They are 500 in November for the first time since 2013. It's their first multi-game win streak since 2016. And 56 points, the most ever scored by an Oregon State team in a conference road game ever. They've never done that before. Um, you look at the, we'll talk about one of the other ones, but the Oregon schools came into, you know, came into, uh, not Los Angeles, came into uh, the, the Pac-12 South and put up 112 points. So, they, uh, they, the Oregon schools feasted on the Pac-12 South this weekend. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting thinking about Jonathan Smith and this offense and then thinking about what's kind of happened to the Washington offense the last couple of years. Maybe he really was part of the, yeah. the solution up there um, because being able to carve out this kind of offensive performance from from a team that was so downtrodden. And yeah, they've got some weapons, and I, I, I think you do have to acknowledge that Isaiah Hodgins is one of, I don't know, the top two top three receivers in the league, yeah. something like that. And they've got two running backs who are each probably top five-ish, top six-ish. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've got some weapons, but they're, I mean, they're they're scheming a lot of this open and they're doing some really, really fun stuff offensively. And it's, you know, they're fun to watch. Um, they are and fun. Now are, and if you look at the remainder of the year, so they're four and four. They have Washington at home, Arizona State at home. I mean... Winnable. They could they could definitely beat ASU at home. Washington at home will be a tougher task. I mean, Washington's still pretty darn good, um, but that's not going to be like a huge spread. Um, we'll talk about it, I guess, in a little bit. Um, and then it's at Washington State and at Oregon. I think at Oregon's going to be a tall order, but at Washington State, that's also winnable, and that's got real shootout potential. So, bowl game? I mean, they could. Um, they just seem to be like a better road team this year than home team for some reason. You know what I mean? Like, it's really weird. Like they, I mean, they got pummeled by Utah at home, fifty-two to seven. Um, they did beat Cal. Well, the at best. Home. I mean, the best team they've played was at home. The best two teams they've played were at home: Oklahoma State and Arizona yeah. and uh, Utah. Um, but if you look at it, I mean, they should have beaten Stanford in that game. I think their win expectancy was like ninety-five percent in that game. Yeah, that was weird. Um, so they should be. I mean, they, there's a real argument they should be like. Five and three, if not six and two, if that Hawaii game swings a little bit differently. Yeah, they're they're just a few points away from being bowl eligible, and they they can definitely uh, get there this year, which is it's crazy. But you know, one two in a row, three and two in conference, like to have a winning conference record. Um, and props to uh, you know we love our our girl Angie Machado up there at BeaverBlitz.com. She told us about Omar Spates, if you remember, as going to be one of those impact newcomers, and he gets uh, freshman player of the week. So. Props to uh, Angie and uh, props to Omar. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and I do want to shout this out just really quick. This Oregon State defense is not good by any reasonable no, standard. No, 
But they make some plays. Like, Hamilcar Rashad, like, that dude gets into the backfield at an insane rate. I mean, my dude's got to have double-digit sacks already. Yeah. Um, let me check it out. Hang on. I want I want to shout this guy out because it's, it's fun to watch him. Yeah, dude's already at 12 sacks this year in eight games. Jeez. That's a... 17 and a half tackles for loss. You don't even talk about him. You talk about all the other, you know, guys like the Evan Weavers and the – you know, Bradley and I's, but you don't talk about him much. That's interesting. No. And he's, he's been crushing it. So, and he's back for, I think he's a junior this year, so he'll be back next year. I mean, that defense should be better next year. And then if you do that with that offense, uh, I don't know. Could be, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is college football playoff, Oregon state. Yes. They're uh, I mean, they're in second place in the Pac-12 North still. So, Um, all right, let's see, let's move on. This is a, Interesting stretch. We have uh, four row, four teams in a row that were on bye weeks in the rankings. But we have our number 10 team. California Golden Bears. That above. seems high. You think high? Well, where would you put them? Would you put them above Arizona? I mean, uh, like. Crippled, crippled Cal is maybe worse than Colorado. So we had Colorado at 12. Um, yeah. Crippled Cal is really bad. Um, with absolutely no offense to speak of, but, yeah, I don't know. But Arizona's bad too. I don't, I don't yeah, know. But oh, could Cal score thirty-eight against Oregon State right now? No, 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 it's not. Well, anyway, we got him number ten. Uh, you can debate that. Our number nine team, Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> they, they had a buy. It's t- nine for Arizona State. You think that's bad? That's rough. That's pretty rough, but I, I I don't have anything legitimate to say. I mean, it's just that's rough. Yeah. Uh, number eight team. Stanford Cardinal. Also on a buy. Um, I mean, it seems about right. I don't know. It's like where do you, you you haven't seen these? Yeah, that's the thing is you can't like Arizona State feels to me like it's better than the number nine team or whatever. But what can you really say? Yeah, the last two just, games weren't um, great. No, yeah. twenty one to three and. 42-32, it's like, now they're both on the road, and they get a bye week, and they get a home game next. So, I mean, that's there's some potential there, but shoot, man, I don't know. All right, uh, so that was uh, number eight. Our number seven team, and I'm going to play this one. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> I like the new one. Um, we got a lot of people voting on that. Yeah. So It seemed like it was pretty heavily on the – retire the kitty so we retire the kitty yeah but I, i'll keep it there so like if they're like if washington state kind of screws up if they quote unquote coug it we could play the we play this one washington state cougars <laughs> which i still like but uh the new one's kind of cool so yeah me too all right uh so number six oregon state we already talked about our number uh five team usc trojans <laughs> What? It's just hilarious to me that they're still number five. Anyway, continue. I don't. Where, well, like, where are you going to put them? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, but... It's the Pac-12, the number one team, Oregon Ducks. Look, <laughs> you have to support Clay Helton. I mean, this team came out looking so good in this game. They just ran out of gas. Yeah, Ryan. that's all that happened. It, they were up ten. They were up ten nothing. It was okay. And I, when I w- rewatched the game, you don't even realize this. The game, okay, the game ended. 
56 to 24, Oregon. <laughs> there were two minutes before like the runner crossed the end zone. I think it was like two minutes and 38 seconds left in the first half. And USC was winning 10 to, th- 10 to 7. So with two and a half minutes or so, USC was winning the game. So almost halfway through the game, USC was winning. And they lost 56 to 24. A fifty-six is- to seven <laughs> run, a fifty-six to seven run. Like that's at home. That's insane. <laughs> um, how many drives, Ryan? Would you say between uh, the second quarter and the end of the game did Oregon not score a touchdown on? Well, the one at, when they had the ball at the end of the game, and that was <laughs> that's it. the only one. <laughs> Eight. In a row. Eight touchdowns in a row. Um, Four turnovers this, for USC, 28 points off turnovers for Oregon. They Every single turnover, they turned into a touchdown. The The shocking thing for me, so, like, watching this live, USC, like, and I, I, I'm being facetious because I, 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 I like to troll, but um, in that first quarter, they actually did look better than Oregon. Oh, yeah. Like, it By was far. so, it was such, like, front-running and they looked like if things just hadn't started to go wrong a little bit, they might have been able to do it. Like it was, it, this was one where I think you really see what what a kind of a poorly coached um, mess of a team looks like. Yeah, a poorly coached, um, talented team. Like this is yeah, and and because they're poorly coached, some I, I don't want to call the players mentally soft, but like the entire team has an ur of like mentally soft, like a aura of mentally soft. Um, but you throw an interception um, after a decent drive, and then you fumble on the more or less goal line after a really good drive, and that just completely snowballs. Um, and they lose all ability to play defense after a couple of cha- you know quick change um, situations, and it was just game over from there. Um, and at no point in the final three quarters did USC look like it even should be on the same field as Oregon. <laughs> but... I, I really do think, well, if that fumble doesn't happen, they might win it. I mean, it's just so interesting to watch a team that's as talented as USC but play just completely emotional football. Like, if things are going well, they're going to play really well, pretty well. But the minute something goes wrong, it's like everything collapses. It's bizarre to watch. Yeah, very strange. Uh, you know, uh, Justin Herbert, like the beginning of the game, like USC started like tackle for loss, sack, like Oregon – couldn't do anything. They were going backwards on offense. And I think by the end of the first half, Oregon had like 113 yards of offense and 112 penalty yards and were, was winning 28 to 17 or whatever. It, I mean, it was crazy. The stats, USC almost outgained Oregon. They, they were outgaining Oregon most of the game uh, until the very end. But that the sequence at the end of the half, which was really bizarre when Oregon scores and USC gets the ball and they're, you know, so they're, it was at 14, uh, seven or something at the, no, it was at 14, 10, I guess at the time. Yeah. And, uh, USC throws a pick six and then all of a sudden it's uh 21, 10. And you're like, wait, wait, what happened there? And then USC puts together a really nice drive and moves all the way down the field. And Michael Pittman like wills his way into the end zone and they score a touchdown. So it's like a four point game with 20 seconds left in the half. 
And you're like, all right, that's better. Like you get some of the momentum back. You had momentum early, didn't take advantage of a, you know, a pretty bad Justin Herbert interception that they get at the eight yard line. They can only kick a field goal. Um, so you're like, all right. And they kicked the ball off right down the middle. I think Valus <laughs> Jones ran into one of USC's other, like they, Valus Jones ran into one of his own guys and like, Oh, left this hole. They both fell down and left this hole right up the middle. And Mikel Wright just goes through and doesn't even get touched hundred yards. And I think at that point, everyone in the stadium knew USC is not winning this game. Like it was like, how are it, it was you, over. how are you not squibbing there? Or doing something like rolling the ball on the ground or something. I, I don't know, dude. Like there so I sort of battle with uh I, I like as a person, like uh John Baxter's a special teams coach. Like we get along, we talk and stuff, but I've been very critical of him and Clay Helton just talks about him like he's the greatest special teams coach ever. Um they I did a little research this week. So you guys know they changed the rule for the kickoff stuff. Back in two thousand twelve they said, okay, you'll get the ball at the 25 if you down it in the end zone. Uh, people started to like kind of kick up high in the air, down inside the five, and then you're trying to tackle. They make them return it, and then you'll tackle them before the 25, so you get better field position than if you just kicked it in the end zone. Then they changed the rule last year, saying if you down the ball anywhere inside the 25, it'll come out to the 25. So overall, from 2017 to 2018, kickoff returns went down by 900 so across fbs i did a lot of research for this dave uh yeah. from like 47 it was like 4700 kickoff returns down to 3800 or whatever um usc this year they're returning it more than any other team in the power five and more than two-thirds of the time they don't get back to the 25 so i it's, it's baffling to me i'm like what do you i asked clay Hilton about it on his conference call and he's like well they got a touchdown in the very first game of the season but since then They've had four kickoffs that have come out past the 26. And you're like, there's, what's the point of this? You've had a fumble once. You've had penalties. Like, there's no upside except unless you get a you know, random touchdown. You're getting the ball and starting way too deep in your own territory. So I kind of wrote this thing on that. So they've had a lot of special teams kind of wacky stuff happening. But that's, that's why that was the weirdest thing I saw is like that they keep returning kickoffs. Uh, but, yeah, for, you got to squib it or something. They asked him about that, and it's like that's not what we do. So whatever. I mean, that's it was bizarre. Sorry, the special. So some some dumb arrogant stuff. The kickoff thing is interesting. I'm I think there need to be kind of set rules on it. Like I mean, not set rules, but like some guidelines that you're operating under as like a special teams unit. If it's in the end zone, almost always just take the knee and take it out at the twenty five. If it's within the five yard line. Think about fair catching it. If you've got a good, like, you can kind of have a gauge sitting there. Do you, do you think, you know, maybe somebody fell down? Do you think you have an opportunity? Okay. Um, you know, and your up man can be, you know, scouting that out while you're chilling and waiting for the ball. Um, but if it's past the five, I still think you return it. Um, it's just, there's kind of that middle ground gray area. I'd love to see somebody at the end of this season, because now I think it's been two full seasons of this, um, do the uh, full analysis of what the stat statistics sh- um, show about point scoring probability based on you know the teams that are returning it versus the teams that are just taking it purely at the twenty five um, because there is some boomer bust potential that does factor in you can when you take the fair catch or you take a knee you're limiting and you just say you're automatically doing that every time you're taking away any possibility that a kickoff can be a big play for you, ever. 
Um, and all it's ever going to do is average you, you know, five more yards of field position than it did before. Um, is it worth it? Is that so much better than the occasional variance of getting it on the 15 versus the 35? Um, how do your odds change if you get it out to the 30 or 35 on a return? Um, I don't think John Baxter is doing that. Um, no. I think it's probably just the USC arrogance thing where it's like, well, we have athletes. We're going to put them in space and see if they can uh, create something on a kickoff. Um, same reason they're they're fully kicking off with 20 seconds to go because, you know, that, that athletic arrogance thing. Um, but I would be interested in the actual stats um, discussion of it because I think it might tell some interesting tales about what people are doing in terms of their point scoring ability um, when they're when they're taking kickoffs and, and just fair catching them. Yeah, and if you're if you're blocking it well and it's well schemed, like you said, I have no problem with that. But USC is consistently not getting anything better, and they they've had four returns go past the twenty six. Like there's one touchdown against Fresno State. They had two that went to the 34. One of them was like one of the up men. And then one that went to the 31. Like they're not like, they haven't got to the midfield or anything outside of that one big kickoff return. So you had one good one, another one you fumbled. So that's a, I'd say that's a wash. And most of the time you're starting behind the 25. So in that case, I'm like, just take it at 25. You're better off. But if you have, if it's more dynamic where you're getting it out to the 50 once a game, like, yeah, I think you give yourself a shot, but USC hasn't done that at all. I don't think they, they don't do a good job blocking, so there's no point of keeping returning the ball. Yeah, agreed. Um, but yeah, Oregon, uh, Juwan Johnson, uh, he had three touchdowns in this game. If you guys remember, he's the Penn State transfer, was actually on the Penn State team when USC beat him in dramatic fashion in the Rose Bowl. Um, so this was a little bit of a uh, you know, revenge factor for him, but he was banged up. For, you know, he didn't get to play against Auburn and some of the games in the beginning. He looks like a legit playmaker for the Ducks, uh, that could be great for their stretch run here uh, if he's able to come out and and play really well. But I, you know, I thought after a slow start on the road, Oregon was able to kind of bounce back, and then they just got in this momentum and just kind of just cruised all the way through. And it was a big deal for recruiting. Mario Cristobal hung out in the field as long as I've never seen a opposing head coach hang out longer than Mario Cristobal did. He would hang out in the tunnel. He would talk to anybody. He was soaking this in 100%. So uh, props to him. I mean, they're doing a great job. No one's recruiting California like Oregon is as far as just relentless. And uh, they're doing a great job. And that was a big, that's a big win for him, not just for the game and the playoff chances and all that, but certainly for recruiting going forward. Yeah. And um, I do want to shout out uh, Travis Dye um, played really, really well at running back, um, especially in the second half. It seemed like he was, pretty consistently just generating uh, successful plays. Herbert early, I mean, he had that one bad pick early um, and really just didn't look right um, in that first quarter. Uh, but then after that, he was really, really sharp. I mean, I don't, did he even throw an incomplete pass in the second half? I don't know if he did. He was, he started off, to, but he ended up uh, 21 to 26, but he was, it was like one of five or so. It was, wasn't very good early, but in the second half, he might've thrown one like, Incompletion, yeah. but three touchdowns. Yeah. He got sacked a couple of times. He got dinged up at one point. Um, looked like he'd suffered some sort of bad knee injury, but then he bounced right back in uh, pretty soon after that. So we got to look at Tyler Shuff. Shuff? I'm going with Shuff. I forget how I forget the, how they said Show? It on the broadcast. Yeah, when I did Shuff? watch, it might be Shuff, whatever. Yeah, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Uh, he looked pretty good in his brief moment out there. So 
That's yeah. cool. I thought Oregon would run the ball a little bit better. They net uh, you know, 139 yards on the, the day. I mean, we saw C.J. Verdell the week before go for, what, like 247 yards or whatever it was. And he had six, you know, for 14. Um, I mean, six for 12 yards. So he just didn't do very much. So I, I thought Oregon would have a better run of the ball. But they, you know, scoring the non-offensive touchdowns helped and they just didn't really need it as much. Yeah, some of it's just the available yards out there. I mean, they got a lot of short fields, too, um, because even beyond the interception for the touchdown, I think their two other interceptions were also, like, decent returns. Um, so they were dealing with, you know, some some shorter fields um, that played into that. But, yeah, I was expecting them to run the ball a little bit better. But I think, you know, USC's defense in that first half really did kind of show up. Um, it's just the offense just couldn't stop making mistakes. Yeah. So. And this is the first time I've seen this USC team sort of give up in the second half. Like this, it kind of felt, everything sort of felt over. Um, yeah. So you could kind of tell. And there are a lot of people left. Uh, all right. We got one uh, game left to preview. Our number three team. Washington Huskies. <laughs> and they were hosting our number two team. Utah Utes. All right. Utah won 33-28 on the road. Um Early on, um, Washington, this was, I mean, not similar to the USC-Oregon game because it didn't end in a blowout, um, but Washington looked pretty darn good early. Yeah. Um, they were shutting down the Utah offense pretty well, um, and then they put together on their first drive a beautiful 13-play drive, um, 70 yards, just kind of grinding in at the uh, Utah defense. Um, Salman Ahmed was really good um, running the ball, just kind of, but mostly it was Jacob Eason um, early, um, just completing balls uh, to a variety of receivers, including a lot of these young guys that I know a lot of the um, you know Husky faithful been clamoring for, like Terrell Bynum, um, Marcus Spiker was in there, Jordan Chin was in there for the touchdown catch. Um, you know, saw a steady diet of those guys, and it looked like, oh wow, this is a glimpse of the future. This could be what you know Washington could put together, um, and it was fourteen three um, at the about midway point of the uh, of the second quarter. And then from that point, um, Utah went on quite a run. Um, it was, I think, a 31-7 run before Washington scored um, again to make it 33-28 towards the end of the game. Uh, but they started to really tighten down defensively, um, just kind of shutting down Utah, uh, shutting down Washington. Um, they got a pick six, um, from Jalen Johnson on a really nice, uh, jump yeah, on a route. That was a backbreaker, I think. Yeah. That was the one that I think kind of just, ugh, that was, that was tough to deal with. Um, but yeah, defensively, I thought they were, they were very good in the second half. And then for Utah, Tyler Huntley was, um, you know, his numbers are not spectacular, uh, 24 attempts for 284 yards and a touchdown. But watching this, this was a hugely gutty performance from him. Um, he's first, still banged up, right? I mean, he's, he wasn't totally banged yeah. up. Not and like the announcers kept talking about it. They're like, he doesn't even like he's not even seventy percent right now. He's really just willing his way through this. Um, and the big touchdown he scored uh, was a running touchdown uh, where he kind of just took the ball into the end zone and had to take a big hit just to get into the corner of the end zone. Um, and that was that was. You know, that's that kind of leadership you're looking for from your uh, your veteran uh, quarterback. So that was really cool to see. But the thing I'm most impressed by is just how accurate he is as a thrower now. Um, he just is putting the ball pretty much wherever he wants. 
he's not missing in any really substantial way. Um, and it's cool to watch. I mean, he's quietly, uh, I don't know, the best quarterback in the league right now? Probably. I mean, I know Justin Herbert's talked of as the, the best prospect. No, but I, Huntley's played I think, better than Herbert, no question. Yeah, Huntley's playing better better football. And, you know, Zach Moss, this is not going to be a banner statistical day for him, 27 carries for 100 yards, but I thought he played some really important uh, downs in the second half, um, helping him just kind of continue to, to grind away at Washington. Um, and on the other side, you know, Jacob Eason had a couple of picks, wasn't particularly great after those first couple of drives. Um, and uh, Washington, once again, dealt with a ton of drops. Um, Aaron Full, especially when they were trying to score late to get kind of get back into it. Um, I, I mean, I, I think probably four different guys dropped balls, um, Aaron Fuller in particular, but there were a number of them. So um, that's been an issue for them all year. Um, and I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't know what the answer is there. Um, but I would certainly start to lean on the youth a little bit more because those guys seem like they can play a little bit. Yeah, Puka Nakua didn't. He could, he got injured, right? I don't think he got to play in this one. Or did, did I, yeah, yeah. Um, that would have been nice to get him out there. He's just seemed like it's such a d- dynamic playmaker. We ca- covered him in high school and stuff. But the beginning of this game, I thought there were similarities between, you know, uh, Oregon coming on the road and, and Utah coming on the road. The only problem, Washington didn't implode. They they didn't play well. I don't think they finished well, but they didn't implode the way USC did. But it was just watching it early. It was like, okay, Washington's at home and Utah's on the road. It just looked like Washington's better. Like they're like, this is Washington's a better home team than Utah is a road team. And that's what I kind of felt like. But it was, you know, it stayed close after a while. It was 21, I think it was 21 19. After three quarters, the stats were all pretty even at that point. So, you know, Washington was hanging in there, but Utah just, you know, they were there and they, they gave themselves some opportunities. A couple of those turnovers were a big deal. Uh, when when Utah took the lead in the fourth, it was like great drive by Tyler Huntley, I think you mentioned. Um, and then it was sort of like this, the downfield passing for Utah, especially in the fourth quarter, I thought Huntley did a great job there. There were some third and longs. He was picking them up. You know, he was gimping around and end up he, in the fourth quarter, he was 11 of 12, uh, Tyler Huntley. So just thought he gutted that out and picking up some of those big third downs, to me, it felt like kind of demoralizing to, you know, the Washington defense a little bit. Um, it just, you kind of felt like, hey, right there, you just got to get a stop, get a stop, and you weren't able to get a stop. And then, uh, and the weird part to me was, and this was, you know, I think Chris Peterson's getting some flack for this. Long drive, you know, down two scores late in the game, and, Washington goes on this really long drive, but it's all like dinking and dunking. They're just like taking up so much time. They scored, but they didn't leave themselves enough time to score again. So to me, that was sort of a mistake where they needed to push the ball down the field a little bit more. I think Utah was pushing it down the field more than Washington was, and, and Utah was winning. Um, so to me, that was an issue, Dave. And the you know, uh, Utah turned the ball over a couple times. Washington didn't get any points off of those turnovers. We talked about Oregon getting 28 points off four turnovers. It was a two, I believe, for Utah. No points uh, for Washington off of those. So th- those were the keys to me. Yeah, and uh, that clock management note, I think, is is worth hammering because it happened at the end of both halves. Um, oh, yeah. At the, end of the, at the end of the first half, Washington calls this kind of inexplicable timeout to set up a fourth and one at Utah's 45 with like a minute 15 to go. Um so stupid. 
Um, because if you then don't make the fourth and one, and this was a situation where the clock was running, uh, Eason had just completed a ball to Aaron Fuller. It wasn't like they let it run down after that. They just immediately call the timeout. Um, and then it's one fifteen to go, and he throws incomplete to Devin Culp, which gives Utah a minute to go with only about half the field to drive, and they got shots at the end zone. I mean, they got to the Washington 19, they got to the 14 before they kicked the field goal, but that gave Utah an opportunity for points where they should not have had an opportunity for points. That's just, that's just bad, bad head coach clock management. You can't do stuff like that. And then they do that again at the end of the game. It wasn't quite as egregious. They needed to have that, you know, drive be successful. Um, But wasting two offensive timeouts in that situation, you just can't do it. Um, you need to be driving with purpose. Um, and they, you know, on the broadcast, they're like, yeah, you can be patient here because you have all those three timeouts. And then you're just watching this huge, long, insane drive continue to go. And you're like, well, actually, no, they can't. They, they should have been going, yeah, you know, <laughs> up-tempo, get yeah. this ball down the field as quickly as possible right there. Um, but I think they got, you know, just like in their own heads about it. And like, okay, we can just do this. We can be patient. We're Washington. Um, and they're not. I mean, they, they really need to figure out what they are offensively. Um, they need to find some of that, whatever it was, whether it was Jonathan Smith magic, whether it was just John Ross making everything look good. Um, but this is not, it's not pretty offensive football. And this was, even with all that, I still think it was one of the better offensive games they played considering the opponent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was not a uh, not a not a great showing from Chris Peterson at the end of either of the two halves. And with all the, you know, Washington's two and four in conference right now, and you know, some close losses, four points to Oregon, five points to Utah. I mean, Stanford beat them by ten. Um, you know, one point to Cal. But there's definitely been some end of half, end of game decisions that you don't expect from. You, you look at Washington like that's supposed to be. A, you know, one of the best coaches in the country and, and a really well-coached team. And it seems like to me, Dave, that there are some issues that are, you know, decisions that could be coaching decisions that could have turned, you know, a couple of these games around. So, but Chris Peterson is going to get a pass, but there's definitely been some criticism there. I'm not sure what's going on, but there, you know, that there's some games I don't, I think they kind of shouldn't have lost and they did. And a lot of it's on the coaching. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, we'll see what goes on there. Uh, Washington, yeah, two and four at conference. Like, what the? So this is our number three. Our number three team in the poll is two and four in the conference. What does that say? And you put them in above everybody else, and I'm like, they're two and four in conference. I, I don't know if I can do that. Well, the 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 only reason for that is that I mean, look at their losses. They've lost by a point to Cal, uh, ten to Stanford, four to Oregon, and five to Utah. So in back-to-back games, they've had to play the two best teams in the league, and they've lost by a combined nine points. I mean, uh, the you know all the analytic systems will tell you this is still a really good team, like top twenty. Um, they've just kind of gotten—I won't say unlucky, but they've just been on the wrong side of close games. Um, but they've blown out some teams too. I mean, they blew out BYU on the road. They blew out Hawaii. Um, and they comfortably beat USC and blew out Arizona on the road. Yeah. I mean, they're not I, – I, I think we need to be comfortable with the idea that Washington is not as good as we thought they might be this year. They're still really good, and schedule has dictated how their record is right now. But looking at the final three games, they've got at Oregon State, at Colorado, and Washington State. 
So we might suddenly be at the end of the year talking about eight and four resurgent Washington. They figured it out, largely dictated by the fact that they ended with, you know, three teams that they should beat. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll preview all the week 11 games back in a minute. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions, David. I wanted to mention something. Uh, our friends over at the the Rain of Troy podcast, they do, it's for fan sided, I believe. The uh, USC podcast, uh, Michael and Alicia, they do a good job there. Michael's kind of a an audio czar, like neither one of us are, but they do the same sort of thing where they record separate tracks and they put them together. And he's what he said they had this weird one lately, where they had both tracks, but one was like thirty seconds longer than the other. But it wasn't like something was missing. It was just sort of like got it just was slower like a little bit. So everything was just like a little off. And he mentioned he remembered one of our episodes where I put it up there where we thought it was synced and it wasn't. And I had to go back and like re-edit it again. But um, I just thought it was nice. They, they mentioned us on the, the show or some of the weird stuff you got to do to make this show work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not that you do totally it, right. but like I have to do it. No, no, I don't do any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 important behind the scenes. Yes, but if that's something just like that happened, way way behind the scenes, right? If something like that happened to us, we would just have to re-record because I don't know what I would do. Like he said, he spent like all night trying to fix the audio. I'm like, dude, I just record it again. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go and preview games. We got four more games this week, uh, so we have a little bit of a mixed bag. We have a Friday game, Dave. So that should be cool. This is a. I think this is going to be a pretty good one. We have our Washington Huskies uh, taking on Oregon State Beavers. Yep, this is a Friday night in Corvallis, 7.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1, hopefully not preempted by truck racing. Washington at Oregon State. Washington is a 10-point road favorite over the Beavs. Wait a second. Let me get the, hold on. So Oregon State, winners of two straight, uh, three and two in the Pac-12 conference, mm-hmm. taking on at home a team that's two and four in the Pac-12 conference, and the Beavers are getting 10 points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I know where I'm going. I don't know where you're going, but. Uh, yeah, no, uh, uh, give me, give me Oregon State. And also like looking at this thing, they've been blown out exactly once this year by Utah. Um, and that was, uh, I mean, it was a really bad football game and I, Washington could do that to them. Um, I just don't think they're equipped right at this moment to do it. Um, they just had a, just an absolute tough as nails game against Utah. And, you know, there is a little bit of a hangover effect after you play a team like Utah. Um, and Oregon State's going to do an entirely different thing to them offensively. Um, and I think that's going to be tough to defend. 
Um, I wouldn't put it past Oregon State winning this one. Um, I think Washington probably wins, um, but I think it's going to be a close, fun game. And uh, these Friday night road games, like Washington having to play Utah on a Saturday and then go on the road six days later to take on Oregon State, that's not that's not setting them up for success. Right. And Oregon State had a bye. Oh, no, no, they were in Tucson. But, they, you know, they Oregon State's got some momentum. I Yeah, I, 10 points. I mean, what would you take it? Like, if, if, if I was getting three points, I think I'd still take Oregon State just because I, I feel like it could be a coin flip, this one, you know? Yeah, I think I'd probably take Washington minus three. Um, but minus 10, that's just too much. Um, and Corvallis can be a weird place to play. I think there might be some excitement around Oregon State now. Um, you know, they might get some fans in the seats now that they're actually looking like a competent program again. Um, and Jake Luton's playing great football. Um, they've got some really great playmakers. And Jonathan Smith knows Washington. Now, Washington knows Jonathan Smith too, but um, there is that institutional knowledge that comes into play here too. So, uh, yeah, give me the beefs. I like the Beavs here, too. Um, they've kind of disappointed me, some of the home stuff. But getting 10 points in this one, I think that's a, that's a no-brainer. We'll see what happens. Of course, Washington will go in there and beat them by 40, whatever. But we'll see. Uh, next up, now we're going on Saturday, uh, we have... Stanford Cardinal. Going on the road to take on... Colorado Buffalo. All right, this game's on the Pac-12 Network at noon on Saturday. Stanford traveling to Boulder to take on the Buffs. Uh, Stanford is the three-point road favorite Ooh. over Colorado. Mm. Um, that's interesting to me. Uh, these teams, I think, are still in the mix for... I think Colorado's the worst team right now. I mean, first, Cal is the worst team in the league without Garbers. But when you take that away, um, if you just put Cal to the side because they're a completely crippled team, Colorado and Stanford are the two kind of still contenders, I think, for that title. Stanford mostly for what it was trying to do um, a couple of games ago, but um, Colorado's gotten bad of late. Uh, do we know anything about Stanford's quarterback health coming into this I, one? I Costello th- played last game. I think Costello's going to play. Back? I don't know if Mills is back, but I I thought that Costello was still scheduled to play. I mean, they had a bye week, so it wasn't like unless he got hurt over the bye week. But I would I would assume he's going to play. I would assume so as well. All right. So the question is, um, can Colorado rally at home um, against Stanford? And is Stanford going to look more like a decent team or more like the terrible team uh, that it was for decent parts of the year? Um, Seems like they've been kind of figuring out things. Uh, Save that Jack West game over the final over the last like three games. Um, I think this could be a bounce back spot for Colorado. Um, they were they did play well against um, USC two weeks ago at home. Um, the UCLA game, I think, you know, brought up some, you know, probably some frustration and stuff it's from uh, and some frustration that they were feeling uh, just before the USC game. Um, but I think Steven Montez can kind of have up and downs, and I think this one might be an up one for him. I don't really have a rationale for it. I think Colorado wins. All right. So, so Colorado's getting three points, or Colorado's not favored. Stanford's favored, right? Stanford's favored by three. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I don't like the three, but I will. Uh, I'll take Stanford in this one. I just feel like their trajectory is going in the right direction. They look so much better. 
when KJ Costello was the quarterback uh, coming off a bye. I feel like Stanford's going to go on the road and, and get the win here. And I, and I think it might be seven or 10 points. So I'll, I'll take Stanford this one. We'll see how that one turns out. Like I, you the, know, Colorado did play the, well two weeks ago against USC, but I feel like now that, that was sort of like, that's what their shot was. That was the LaVisca Chenault game. He played well. Montez played well, played well, but it wasn't the, the case this past week. Well, let's look at Stanford real quick. Okay. Uh, this is a team that lost badly to UCLA. Um, beat Washington, should have lost to Oregon State, lost badly to Oregon, got blown out by UCF, got blown out by USC, beat Northwestern. A Northwestern team by seventeen uh, by 10 points that has turned out to be one of the worst teams in college football this year. Yeah, they're going to average uh, under 10 points a game. And the closest team to do that was 2006 Stanford. They averaged like 10.5 points a game. But no, I don't remember the last time someone's averaged under 10. It's been a long time. But that's what Northwestern's on pace to do. That's incredible. Um, Stanford is a bad football team this year. Um, Their win over Washington notwithstanding. Um, Now, when Davis Mills was in there, I thought they had a chance. And that was basically that Washington game. Um, but KJ Costello hasn't super impressed me. Um, so yeah, I really don't know. I think, I think they could close out the year pretty poorly. Um, Colorado could beat them. Washington state could beat them. Cal can't beat anybody, but Notre Dame to close the year. I mean, I still think there's a chance Stanford finishes, um, outside of bowl eligibility. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I just feel that they're doing a little bit better. Uh, if they didn't, if they didn't have their third-string quarterback against UCLA, maybe it's a different game. But UCLA's playing better. I just put Stanford sort of in that category as they're playing better football right now, certainly than Colorado. So we'll see. But Colorado's at home. Could be uh, could be an interesting one. Um, you know, it shouldn't be too cold because it's a, a noon game, but we'll see. Um, we also have another uh, – we have right here. USC Trojans. Also on the road, taking on Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so this one's on at 1230 on ABC. Why is this game on ABC? Why are they doing this to anybody involved? I do not know. Um, it's a, I think it's a bad weekend of football, so that's why. But USC traveling to the desert to take on Arizona State, the land where Lane Kiffin ended his USC career. Will it be the land of Clay Helton ending his USC career? Tune in and find out. Uh, ASU favored by two and a half points. You know, the SP Plus would tell you that USC should be favored by two and a half points here. Uh, But I think maybe some odds makers are taking into account um, the fact that USC may have clearly and obviously quit on its coach in the second half of that football game. Uh, Yes. Wait, so Arizona State's favored in this? Arizona State is a two and a half point favorite. It was it was USC by like one and a half before, I think. Let me let me look at the line movement. Hang on. Uh, I thought so. All right. Uh, USC opened yeah opened as a one and a half point favorite, um, and then this one has them as a one and a half point dog. But ESPN has them as a two and a half point dog right now. Okay. All right. Um, well, you know where I go. Well, I, I, I take ASU. Uh, I think they could blow them out, and I think it could be ugly. Yeah, I'll take uh, ASU as well. Um, I don't, you know, I don't usually pick USC. I changed that early in the season. I'm just going to stick with not picking them to cover. They could because they 
The one thing they hadn't done is give up, and they fought hard. They did not do that against Oregon. Now that they don't control their own destiny in the Pac-12 South, and that was such a narrative that Clay Houghton was saying, and um, I, I just didn't think it w- was worth talking about, but that's something they just hung their hats on, and now that's gone. And so now what are you fighting for? You don't really feel like Clay Houghton's going to keep his job no matter what you do. So I think the motivation factor is not going to be very high. Um, ASU has not looked uh, great. Like when we, they were in close games all the time. And the last couple of weeks, they, you know, after, before the bye week, they just haven't, you know, losing by, uh, you know, 18 to Utah and, and 10 to UCLA. Those are road games. They're back home. They had a bye week. I feel like this team is going to play better. I think the recruiting aspect, because they know they want to recruit Southern California. If you got a chance to kick, you know, the the 900 pound gorilla when it's down, you do it. So I feel like ASU can get this one. Um, I, I really liked when I was getting points with ASU, but I still, you know, under a field goal, I'll still take uh, the Sun Devils. Yeah, I agree. And, and recontextualizing things now, I mean, they lost on the road at Utah, which looks like to me, I know Oregon fans, but to me, looks like by far the best team in the league right now. Yeah. Utah. And that was in a torrential uh, downpour and everything. It was like a hurricane or something. And at UCLA, a UCLA team that it, just throw out the first six games of the year because it was an entirely different team running an entirely different defense. I mean, they, they have fundamentally changed their scheme. UCLA suddenly looks like a good-ish team now. That's just, if you can wrap your brain around that, ASU fans, recontextualize the last couple of games, I think there's still a lot of room for this team to close out the year very strong um, and obviously make a bowl game, but maybe even, you know, get to seven and five and, you know, potentially eight and four. I mean, if you look at the remaining, the remaining road for them, it's USC at home at Oregon state, Oregon at home, which will be tough. Um, and then Arizona at home. I mean, they could go three and one in that stretch. Yeah. So, all right, we'll see what happens there. Uh, another team coming off a bye week. So this one we have, Washington State Cougars. The cool one. And then they're on the road taking on California Golden Bears. All right. This one's on at 4 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. So if you're keeping track at home. We're done. You see, so the Pac-12 is going to be done with football by a normal bedtime for me. That's pretty good. That's pretty great. Yeah. That's all I care about. Um, unless this one goes to like a million overtimes, which I think has happened before with Washington State, Cal. Yeah. Um, anyway, Washington State traveling to Cal. Both teams are four and four, one and four in the league. Uh, Washington State is favored by seven and a half because if you look at Washington State's um, one and four and four and four record, it's, I mean, they're getting just absolutely hosed by circumstance. I mean, there's. There's another very adjacent alternate universe where Washington State is 7-1 and one right now, um, where they don't give up, like, 42 unanswered to UCLA to close that game out, where Jaden Daniels doesn't look like a redshirt senior leading a touchdown drive against them at the end of the game, and where Oregon um, misses that field goal or, you know, just something goes wrong there at the end for them on their game-winning drive, but... Um, Washington State is four and four, but this is another team where the analytics will tell you they should have more wins than they do right now. Yeah. Um, and Cal's a team that's clearly crippled if they don't have Chase Garbers. Um, the last 
stretch of the season for them has been a 35-0 loss to Utah, a home 21-17 loss to Oregon State, a road road loss to Oregon 17-7, and a home loss ASU 24-17. Um, they're not getting blown out except by Utah, so there's that. Um, but they are just losing and not being able to put up much offense. Yeah. Um, hey, well, they haven't be, scored. Uh, Go ahead. Before you make your pick, so I, I my sources are telling me that Chase Garbers is back and Anthony Gordon is not going to be able to play, just so you know. Who's telling you that? <laughs> uh, nobody. I just, I'm just I trying to get you to pick uh, Cal. I don't believe in your <laughs> – don't do that to me. I just, want you to, um, I just want you to pick Cal. Yeah, I get it. Um. Cal has not here. How's this for you? Ready for a stat? Okay. Even with Garber's healthy, uh, Cal has not scored more than twenty-eight points this year. Oof. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. And with with Garber's out, they're like I think held under twenty. Um, they're due. Anyway, though. they're due. <laughs> anyway, uh, long story short, give me Washington State. Uh. Um, I think they'll win this one comfortably. I mean, the Cal defense is still good. And they'll keep Washington State probably under their averages, but um, even a Washington State that's held down a little bit is still going to be more than enough to compensate for this uh, or to to comfortably beat this Cal team without an offense. Yeah, unless Cal like you know bought an offense or something over the bye week, I just don't see this. I mean, Washington State's going to score, and they they've been snake bit in a lot of these laws. I mean, they they should have beat. Uh, Oregon, you know, on the road. They look good enough there. If they can go on the road and look like, man, they should have beat Oregon, I am not worried about them going to, to Cal and winning by a little bit more than a touchdown. Like, there's, uh, you know, no way. So, these are one of those lines where it's just like, all right, that seems like easy money. Um, we had a bunch of those last week, and they, they paid off. So, we'll see if this one does too. But, yeah, Washington State by like 20 or something, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. Uh, cool stuff. Well, that's our the, all the previews, uh, all the recaps. We have to get to questions, Dave. Holy crap, we have a lot. We have so many questions, and so, all of you people. And some of them are long. Like this first one, uh, who is this from? And it's a Pac-12 fan. It's just the email, Pac-12 fan. That's what it is. <laughs> do you want me to do this? This is so long. It is. All right. Are we even going to read this? I don't know. Should we? It's like a new emailer, I believe. All right. I'll, I'll read it. You, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Okay. I'll take the hit. Uh, CFP Rose Bowl. Is Oregon really that good? Uh, hey, Ryan and David. David. It's been, uh, that's my name. and I, I screwed it up. Um, it's been a while <laughs> since I wrote in. I listen every week and love the show. I have a question about your thoughts on the CFP and the conference as a whole. I apologize in advance for these four questions. It's so long. Feel free to answer one or two at a time and maybe do the rest at a different time or show. We are incapable of that. Um, One, mainly, does a one-loss Pac-12 champ, either Utah or Oregon, have a chance or is likely to make the CFP? Seeing that the SEC still needs to beat itself up with Alabama having to play LSU, Alabama playing Auburn, Florida playing Georgia, and the SEC championship, and that Penn State has to deal with Ohio State and somehow Minnesota's in that mix and the two one-loss Pac-12 teams, if they stay one loss, would clear the other out of the way. So it boils down, does a one-loss Pac-12 champ make it in over a one-loss SEC team? Because I don't see Ohio State or Clemson losing, although if Clemson has a close game or a loss, they might fall out. Um, I'm, I'm a lot more bullish on Pac-12 chances 
mostly for Oregon uh, this week than I've been. Some of the things that had to happen did. I don't. I still wouldn't bet on the Pac-12 making it, but I, I feel like it's it's more realistic now. We'll find out Tuesday. They come out with the first rankings. If Oregon's like number eleven, that's probably not. Good, but uh, I feel a little bit better. I don't know where you feel, Dave. I'm interested to see where they have Utah and Oregon relatively ranked. Um, not so much for the playoff. Just I think Utah's a better team, uh, and a lot of analytics will tell you that Utah's a better team. But Oregon's definitely getting the weight from the voters. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see which one they have ahead. Um, I, I I totally think a one-loss Pac-12 team is alive. I don't know if they're alive against a one-loss SEC team. I I, I really don't. Um, so you know, I think there's still you got to hope that Alabama LSU don't just lose to each other. Um, you got to hope that one of them tags another loss somewhere so that you're only seeing one uh, SEC team emerge. Um, Georgia, man, I don't know. I mean, they, they've got one loss already. Who was it to? Notre Dame? Who'd they lose to? Uh, Georgia lost to South Carolina. Yeah, so that's the kind of loss that I think does maybe put them behind a Pac-12 team. The problem is LSU-Alabama, where they're only the only loss between the two teams is to the other team. I think that's going to be tough to deal with. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the SEC, I don't think, is str- so strong that each one of those other teams would be favored as a one loss against uh, Utah or Oregon. Yeah. It's just a matter of you got to find another loss for Alabama or LSU yeah. um, beyond this game. Um, but yeah, if that happens, if it's just one SEC and it's just Clemson and it's just Ohio State, I think the Pac-12 makes it in over Oklahoma. I could see that. I think there's going to yeah. be I think there's going to be some political reasons to make that happen at this point because the Pac-12 has been on the outside looking in. And if all things are equal, I think there might be some. I think there might be a little bit of political. Hey, let's get a Pac-12 team in here, so there's not so much you know disgruntled fandom out there and Oklahoma um, lost to Kansas state. So, I mean, that's, that's a different thing, you know, totally true. Totally true. I mean, Kansas state's South Carolina's bad this year. And I think Kansas state's actually like trending upwards, but yeah, I think that's right. Um, so. All right. Yeah. Well, let me see. Where is Kansas state is the 32nd team in the SCP S and P plus. Um, and South Carolina is 38. So, yeah, Kansas State's a little bit better than South Carolina. All right. There you go. Uh, Second question is about the Rose Bowl. This question is kind of based on the answer of the first. Does a Pac-12 championship loser make go to the Rose Bowl if the winner goes to the CFP, or does any another 2016 when USC went over Colorado, even though Colorado technically won the South but lost the championship? Um, I'm just going to read his questions now because there's a lot of explainer that just leads to him asking the same question again. Right. Um, I don't think this is the year that happens. I think you have two clear teams, one and two, where that year USC beat both Washington and Colorado, so they went to the Rose Bowl. You're not going to have that happen this year. You mean you don't – you think uh, – so when when five loss UCLA makes the Rose Bowl. Oh, oh okay. You think the loser of the title game um, – like where do they go? No, I thought he was talking about like Oregon and yeah, Utah know, playing together. Like <laughs> I know. Right. I know. So that was like so Colorado won the South, but USC was, you know, had beat them and uh whatever. So yeah, I, I don't think that's gonna happen this year. Unless unless it's UCLA, if they make it. Um and yeah. Utah yeah. could go to the Rose Bowl, but No, you, you UCLA might make the title game and then miss a bowl game. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Or like Vegas Bowl or some crap. 
Um, all right. Uh, third question. Why is everyone so high on Oregon? Uh, they're good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're good. Um, I, I don't think they're quite as good as Utah, but they're good. And that defense is tough. Um, they have, I, I think CJ Verdell has gotten better over the course of the year. I think that running game, um, is, you know, it, it generates yardage at a successful rate. Um, yeah, I mean, they're good. Maybe not world beaters, maybe not the best, well, the best coach team in, uh, college football, uh, Looking at you, Mario Cristobal, and your clock management. Um, but I, I, you know, they've got a lot of talent. Yeah, they've got a lot of bodies. And I, you know, Justin Herbert. I get that. You know, when I think it was two years ago at the Pac-12 championship game, NFL people were just like glowing over him and how big he was, and he was standing next to uh, Jake Browning, and he was just like, "Man, that guy looks like an NFL quarterback." So I think there's a bunch of that going on. He's played okay. I wouldn't say he's been playing amazing. Um, you know, Tyler Hartley's playing better than he is, but there he's still going to get a lot of that hype. So I get it. Like maybe there's a little bit too much hype about what he's doing, um, but he looks the part. So I think that's part of the reason. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then he says, my last question is the state of Pac-12 coaching right now. He says there are three safe coaches, Mario Cristobal, Kyle Whittingham, and Chris Peterson. There are three where he doesn't know what to think. Herm Edwards, David Shaw, and Mike Leach. Uh, he said the too soon to tell are Jonathan Smith, Mel Tucker, and Justin Wilcox. And lastly, the hot seat, Clay Helton, Chip Kelly, and Kevin Sumlin. Uh, some of these can be moved around, but this is how he sees them. How do you think the rest of the season will affect the employment status of some of those coaches with the direction some of these teams are heading? And if someone is fired, who would be some likely replacements replacements for these those let go? Uh, the only one who's going to be fired is Clay Helton. Yeah, I believe. I that. mean, I, I guess if Kevin Sumlin, like, if something like bad happened off the field, maybe there'd be, you know, oh, this is an opportunity for us to fire him and get out from under this. Um, but Chip Kelly's safe. Uh, the rest of these guys are totally safe. Yeah. So I don't see anything happening like a uh, uh, Taggart, Willie Taggart sort of situation. But yeah, it'd be Clay Helton. Um, you know. There's some good names out there, but like you, like you said, you're going to see some other schools come into the mix, and you're going to might be competing for them. I think an Urban Meyer is like the home run, um, but we don't know if he wants to come back. We don't know if USC's new president, and they don't have an athletic director named yet, would want to go after him. Um, so yeah, but that that's the that's the no brainer home run hire that yeah that probably yeah. the rest of the Pac-12 would not want USC to hire. Yep, I would say. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, and he wanted us to guess what team he's a fan of um, to see if any of his questions came off as biased. I think he's a UCLA fan. UCLA because fan? He was, because he assumed that Chip Kelly was on the hot seat. Nice. All right. I like that. Uh, this was uh, from George about the cougar growl. You should keep the user-submitted cougar growl over the traditional kitten meow. Washington State Cougars. I'm all for making fun of the Fuskies with some wimpy dog sound, but don't denigrate our cougar bros. Thanks, George. All right. All right. Uh, uh, we've got one from 89 Ute. Um, this originally was Dave quit being a whiny little bitch from 89 Ute, but he actually meant to say Ryan, um, yes. as he tells us later in an email. Um, he says, just stop complaining about the conference games. Uh, the Big Ten, uh, Big 12, and 35% of the ACC plays nine conference games. Almost all those teams also play an out-of-conference Power 5-2. These conferences don't seem to have a problem getting a team in the playoff. Should the other nine ACC teams in the SEC play nine? Sure, but that's not the reason why the Pac-12 is getting left out. 
We simply do not have a team that is on par with the top four teams in the country. We just don't. Get over it. I enjoy Pac-12 football, especially the nine conference game schedule. So for you, Ryan, or any other Pac-12 fan out there, if your team is good enough, they will go. Sincerely, 89Ute. Hey, 89Ute. Yeah, so you got a lot of things wrong giving Dave the, you know, (laughs) saying Dave instead of Ryan was the first one, but not the most glaring. You're completely wrong on this. You how who games the system better than the SEC? That's where it's that's where the system's being gamed. If you want to compete there, they're going to try to get two teams in the playoff every year. You want to get in, you can't just wait for something amazing to happen and hope that a Pac-12 team gets in. You need to game the system in your behalf, in your favor, and that's the way to do it. You don't need all these extra losses. This is dumb. Eight game is the way to go. Yeah, we've we've been over this. Um, that's that's silly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do I get? The, it's, it's, I'll read a couple in a row because these are short. Uh, the new Cougar intro. Hey, this is from Mark in Vancouver. Hey guys, response to your prompt uh, for the updated Washington State intro. I'm in full support of the new submitted growl as opposed to the old kitty. Please use a new one from now on. Thanks and go Cougs. So that we got some of those. We also got a text. Keep the original kitty cat sound bit for BS, for BSU, for WSU. It's classic. And he said, from a UCLA fan with no ill will towards the Cougs. Washington State Cougars. There's a vote for the meow. Um, and then we, yeah, they've won. Another one on the intro from Robert. So the troll is meow. It's just as fun uh, a denigrating tradition. And real, he says, as Ryan put it, Row, row, row? I mean... Row, row, row. Oh, row, row, row. Okay. I mean, it's a real cougar sound instead of a tabby. Washington State Cougars. But he says, use your best judgment. I love the podcast from Robert. Cool. Nice. All right, this is Equity Bruin. uh, Couples therapy. Okay. Ryan and Dave. First, I request Dave read this email because it's not simple enough for Ryan. Wow. Thanks, Equity Bruin. I was incredibly distraught when you two were fighting last week about Pac-12 scheduling. It was violent and traumatic, and I think you two would benefit from some couples therapy to work through your disagreements in a productive manner instead of fighting in public. Which brings me to my question. Which two non-rival Pac-12 teams and their fan bases could use some couples therapy? For example, I think ASU fans and Utah fans have a lot of stuff they need to sit down and work through. It's been two weeks, and I'm still seeing them jaw at each other on Twitter. And which of your picks do you think would most likely develop into a capital R rivalry as opposed to a little R rivalry in which two teams just happen to dislike each other for three to four years? ASU-Utah feels obvious, but ASU fans don't think that'll become a rivalry despite not shutting... (laughs) Don't think that'll become a rivalry despite not shutting the fuck up about Utah. (laughs) Love all that you do. Keep up the great work. And go Bruins, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I think you... I think you've picked the one. I mean, ASU, Utah. I know Arizona and Utah also had a little bit of a, yeah. a back and forth there for a while. Um, but ASU and Utah, I think because ASU has been a little bit better, um, maybe it feels like a little bit more competitive on each end. I don't know what it is, but it does feel like there is something organic developing there that really isn't organic between Utah and Colorado. Um so, yeah, I like that one. I think that could end up being a real one. I like that. The Washington State-Oregon also, because uh, Washington State had beat them like four times in a row or something. And, it's, you know, it just seemed like Washington State had Oregon's number. Uh, I think there's some – I think there's a little spark there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if any uh, – I'm trying to think of any others that have been 
interesting at all. Because like if the California ones, even though not not like Cal Stanford, USC, UCLA, but like so, will the California schools count as a rivalry? Just each other, like you say, USC, Stanford, or not really? I mean, those are kind of known. Yeah. rivalry and like and Oregon like, Washington like it's not like your geographic rival but that's kind of your big rival so I don't know if that would count either yeah the ASU Utah one is interesting it's obviously very new um, but if weird stuff happens again like ASU taking shots uh, ASU players taking shots at Utah players and then weird stuff between the coaches and all that kind of stuff that one could get really interesting I, I'm, I'm all for more fun weird stuff yeah. like that I like it nice uh I don't remember what we were fighting about. Did we, did, did it was the scheduling. It was uh, eight games versus nine oh. games, conference schedule. Wait, so were you saying nine? I'm, I'm just comfortable with you being very wrong now. Oh, okay. I've, I've moved on. I don't think people need to listen to the exact same argument again. I gotcha. Okay. A week later. I don't remember. All right. Um, you're just way wrong. Okay, so another one is from <laughs> Tina. <laughs> uh, Tina, I love the show, but the kitten sound for Washington State has always bothered me. More so knowing it was a uh, Washington prank. Please use the new fierce cougar sound. Thanks. Washington State Cougars. Tina. Um, I don't think it was a prank. I think but I think the guy that did it was a Washington guy, but I, I don't think he meant ill will, right? Or did I get that wrong? Yes, of course he did. What are you talking <laughs> Just about? Just try to be nice. Uh, another one, Jay, cougar sound drop. Hey, guys, my vote is to scrap the kitty cat sound and use the more ferocious cougar sound. It's pretty much the exact sound they play over the PA at football and hoops games. Tough season to be a Kook football fan, especially since they're just a few plays from being 7-1, even with their poorest defense. Here's to finishing strong and finally winning the Apple Cup. Enjoy the podcast every week. Keep up the good work. Go Cougs from Jay. Well, you know, even if you have a poorest defense, Jay, this week, I think you got the, the cure for that ill uh, playing Cal. Yeah. You know, I, I've got a, I've got something for you. You ready for this? Sure. According to the S and P Plus, Washington State is the fourth best team in the Pac-12 and a top twenty-five team. Wow, that's 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 where they should be if if the you know if odds were just. You should probably take Cal in that game. I think you should switch your. <laughs> Um, uh, I'll keep, you know, yeah, that's fine. Like yeah. Mike in Oakland, another Cougar soundbite says, "I love the new Washington State soundbite." Uh, that's the sound they use at Martin Stadium during games. Go Cougs. Um, cool. Frank in Sacramento. He says, keep the sweet kitty sound. Washington State Cougars. When I, when I hear them played back-to-back, it's hard to tell the new Washington State Cougar growl from the Arizona Wildcat growl. Arizona Wildcats. Uh, let's stay with the sweet kitty meow sound for the Cougs. <laughs> they, All right. They sound different, don't you think, or no? Yeah, they definitely sound I thought different. they were different, yeah. Um, all right, so we've got a text message from Brent. Uh, what's up, fellas? It's Brent here. Uh, <laughs> call back to our Brett, Brett, Brent. Um, I just want y'all to know that the Beavs are only six points away from being six and two right now. We are six points away from being bowl eligible. We all need to stop sleeping. In all seriousness, in a percentage, how confident are you in the Beavers' chance of pulling out two more wins and becoming bowl eligible? Absolutely love the show. And to all those who want a show that is serious and only about football, you all don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. And then he also says, please keep the kitty cat kook sound. It annoys my brother-in-law, and I love it. All right. Um, let's do some quick odds. It's not all right, easy. So, it's not easy. It's not going to be an easy road. 
All right, so Washington, they're 10-point dogs. So what is that, like a 30% chance of winning? I think so. But I, I, I feel it should be closer than that. Yeah, okay. So we'll say, uh, let's just say 30% chance of winning. Uh, then it's ASU, um, and that's ASU at home, which more or less a pick them. Um, give them like 45% chance of winning, I guess. I would ASU give should be higher. favored by a little bit. You think so? Like They probably will be. Okay. Um, Okay, so we're looking at 0.45 plus 0.3 plus. All right, then we've got uh, Washington State on the road. As we just talked about, Washington State is pretty good. The defense isn't um, good, and Oregon State's offense is good. So this this got some shootout potential. Yeah, they're probably going to be like 14 to 17 point dogs in that game. You think that would much? Would be my guess. You think that yeah, much? That would be my guess. Wow. Call it Call it like 20% chance. Oh, that seems okay. That seems low to me, but all right. Does that seem low? Yeah. What would you give them? Probably closer to thirty. But okay. I would give Washington a little bit more than thirty-two. But that's fine. Let's go with that. You're you're better at these things. So so this would give them about one more win in these four. Like when you aggregate it all together, um, they wouldn't be favored in any single one of these games. But when you add up the odds for all four, you'd end up with about one more win. So getting two more I don't think is completely out of the question. It's going to require them playing a little bit over their heads uh, more than once. Um, But look, as we talked about up front, this weekend's winnable. ASU is winnable. At Washington State is winnable. At Oregon, that's going to be a tall order. But the Civil War gets weird. Um, So who knows? I, I, I think there's... Real chances the next two weeks. Um, I think beating Washington and then beating ASU and getting to six wins in the next two weeks is probably, or next three weeks, actually. Is that right? No, next two weeks. Um, I think that's probably the the best avenue here. Um, but they've been a good road team this year. So I'd say good odds, you know? Yeah. Not, uh, they should have a good chance. Um, All right. Cool. So it's funny. You you're seem like more pessimistic on the numbers, but then afterwards you look at the numbers like, yeah, they'll do it. And I'm like a little more optimistic on the numbers, but I'm like, oh, I don't know if they can do it uh, as far as the games go. Yeah. I mean, I just look at it. I mean, in, in, if you were looking at it, previewing ahead of time, you would say they've got about one win left here. I don't know where it's going to come. But the thing is, they've also improved a lot. They have. And whenever there's a big stretch where a team's suddenly improving, and it's happening with UCLA too, it takes a while for like the lines and analytic systems to catch up a little bit. Um, so... I think Oregon State's probably a little bit better than what their ranking tells you it is right now, what the analytics will tell you it is right now. So, yeah, and maybe they're, maybe Washington's a little bit worse. Maybe um, ASU's a little bit worse. So, okay, we'll see. I think it'll be fun. This one's uh, Chimes at Midnight from our buddy Hithliday. Last week, you boys anticipated that I would call you foolish for asking my question on Oregon quarterbacks Thomas Graham and Diamador Lenore. I'm not sure why you'd feel that way as providing someone else's opinion on football is the smartest move you've made in years. Uh, your beard oil hawking listener. Did you ever hear about the beard oil again? I never reached out. Oh, okay. Oh, that, that, why, why would I even ask? Like, that, that's just that's, <laughs> that's dumb on my part. Uh, so <laughs> the beard oil hawking listener who thinks he can fairly evaluate corner play based on broadcast angles. On the other hand, dot, 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 uh, that the camera angle only shows a corner on the rare occasions he's beat 
is unremarkable. For reasons that are obvious on a mere moment's reflection, the best I or anyone else can do is note all snaps they're playing uh, man coverage. Then count how often they're thrown out against on a uh, thrown against on those. Oregon has had very good corners by that metric. Sports source analytics rate uh, Oregon's defensive open receiver percentage as tied for fifth in the country. And the team leads the FBS interceptions by a wide margin. And so he, he put some screen grabs about that too. So I guess uh, it's top seven defenses, open receiver percentage, LSU, TCU, Duke, Utah, Syracuse, Pitt, and then Oregon. And it's all in a close range between 57 and, uh, and 61. Yeah. And okay. he says, uh, while we're uh, interacting with other listeners, I'd like you to adjudicate uh, Shane's bet uh, issued on May 22nd podcast at the 5715 mark in his email entitled, quote, Hot Pockets. How, where is he pulling this? Apparently from the May 22nd. No, but like, did he make a note? I guess. I don't know. Is he just listening to these on a loop? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Therein. He compared Justin Herbert to Jake Locker, expressed that he'd have difficulty winning road games in 2019, and pledged that if he led Oregon to fewer than three losses, Shane would change his Twitter avatar to Oregon's logo. I thought this was a strange criterion. Uh, as As Locker had six losses his senior year, not three, but at any rate, it's time to parse the terms, and you boys are valid enough arbitrators here. Or arbiters. Okay. Uh, so I guess he gives some terms for this. Uh, does this lock in at the end of the Civil War, the conference championship, or the bowl? And what happens if Herbert is injured or otherwise can't play? Would any losses after that count? And then how long would Shade need to display his uh, scolds bridle? Uh, how about until after Washington wins a bowl game, assuming they qualify for one? Whew. Um, you had a lot to work with there. There was a lot. Yeah, Scold's Bridal's a uh, Poe reference, I think, is what he's going for there. Um, form of form of punishment. Ah, okay. Um, uh, does this lock in at the end of the Civil War? Yes. Um, I don't. I, I think it was in the context of um, uh, over unders for the season. So I think this would lock in at the end of the Civil War. And that the, um, the games after that won't be road games anyway, right? Good point. Yeah. Um, and then what happens if Herbert is injured or otherwise can't play? Would any losses after that count? Um, yes, the losses would. I mean, I, I think at that point, it's you, you you want it both ways, especially at this point in the year, um, because the odds of Oregon losing two more at this point seem minimal at best. Um, and then how long would Shane need to display his scolds bridle? How about until after UW wins a bowl game, assuming they qualify for one? Um, I think after bowl season, regardless, would probably be fine. Yeah. So between the end of the regular season and the end of bowl season in January, he would have to maintain an Oregon avatar in his Twitter account. But after that, it's a new season. Yeah. He can he can take it out. I like that. Um, All right, and or, but Shane, you are you are obligated to do this legally now. It's binding. But wait, so Oregon had to lose three road games. Is that what it was, or what's the? No, no, just fewer than three losses. Fewer than three, okay. It wasn't road games. It was just, yeah. Okay, there was a thing about road games. All right, I don't. Know. I didn't pay yeah, attention to the just, whole thing. I kinda, no, I know you're, you're just I, focused on the words. I was kind of zoning out after a while. I'm like, all right. uh, yeah. 
All right. Uh, we got one from Hugh Janus. Oh, boy. UCLA doesn't suck anymore. Hey, Ryan and Dave. It's your buddy Hugh Janus back with a few more true-false questions uh, this week. Mike Crotch, uh, Harry Nutsack, and I were discussing all things Pac-12 and wanted your thoughts on the following. Uh, one, UCLA will win two of their final three games and go bowling. True. Hmm. So, at Utah, at USC, Cal. Uh, I'll go true. Sure, I'll go. Yeah. Two, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to be one of the three to four best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 next season. All Uh, right, so let's go through them real quick. Um, All right, so Washington State's graduating a quarterback, but they've had no trouble reloading quarterbacks. Uh, Jacob Eason... Hasn't been super impressive this year, no. but probably still a cut above what Thompson Robinson has been this year. So it's still a qu- it's a question of whether you know Thompson Robinson has significantly more upside, which may be true. Yeah. Okay, so we'll put that in the maybe. Um, Oregon is having to replace Herbert, so that's Shuff or Shoff or yeah, Show. I was say no there. No there. Um, Oregon State's having to replace Jake Luton, so that's probably a no, too. Um, um, Cal. Cal uh, Chase Garber is definitely because he's the greatest quarterback in the history of college football, <laughs> like we went over. Cal's a no. All right, so that's, that's three teams that are... 100% yes, he's, he's the greatest quarterback ever. <laughs> uh, Davis Mills will probably be better. I think he might be really, really good, actually. Um, so... Davis Mills definitively is the first one who I would say is going to be better than Thompson Robinson next year, just because there's turnover everywhere else. And Jacob Eason, I just don't know. Um, at Utah, Tyler Huntley's graduating, right? He's a I senior. believe so, yeah. Um, let me just make sure of that before we say something really stupid. If not him. It hasn't stopped us before. Uh, yeah, he's a senior. Yeah. Um, so if he's gone, do we know who their backup is, their primary guy? Uh, it doesn't matter. Jason Shelley is who it is now. But yeah, but I think... Regardless, I think Thompson Robinson will be better than that. Colorado's having to replace Montez, um, and we haven't There's seen anything of, of the other two guys. So replaced. Holy cow. Yeah, so it's hard to know. Uh, USC, I think whoever it is, whether it's Daniels or Keaton Slovis, I probably like them a little bit more than Thompson Robinson right now. Um, that could change, but I'll say whoever USC ends up starting will probably be a little bit better. Um, and then in the Arizona situation, it's Grant Gunnell. Um, Gunnell, yeah. Gunnell. Jayden, and then Jaden Daniels. Uh, Daniels. So Jaden Daniels, I think, yes. So I'd say Davis Mills and Jaden Daniels, yes. USC's quarterback, whoever it ends up being, probably. And then it's a question of whether Jacob Eason um, and or Gunnell are any better than Thompson Robinson. Or Washington so, State's guy who could – Whoever it ends up being, player to be named later. I would um, say, yeah, yeah. I think he's, yeah, he's got a good is, chance. It's fair, yeah. Yeah, he's got a good chance. Yeah. Um, all right, three. The Cal mas- mascot Oski is creepy. Yeah, false. Yeah. Uh, four. At some point, JT Daniels or Keaton Slovis will transfer from USC. I'll say true, just because you could say that about almost any two quarterbacks on the same team, and one of them is probably going to transfer. True. Uh, five, David Woods badly misses SoCal and secretly wants to leave Atlanta, but his wife won't permit it. God damn. <laughs> now you're getting personal, people. <laughs> Jesus. He's not even uh, married. I'm not married. <laughs> False. False. He Won that round. 
Um, six, the next Pac-12 commissioner will have some sort of background in football rather than women's tennis. True. True. Seven, Champagne Larry has actually been better for the conference than his predecessor, Tom Hansen. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? Like, <laughs> uh, it's been better. That one's interesting. It's been... Tom Hansen sucked. He was terrible, yeah. Um... Uh, Larry's had more boom and bust. Um, yeah. There have been some really great things, and then there have been some not-so-great things. I'd say probably on the whole better. Yeah, he's returned a couple kickoffs for touchdowns, but he's also fumbled like 15 of yeah. them. So I don't know. There's, but it's, pr- it's, not quite, it's not quite as bad as John Baxter's rate this year, yeah. but it's not great. Tom Hansen's uh, like just falling over, and, and you get the ball at the five-yard line every time, and just nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not fair catching it. Larry, he Larry is, Scott the like, ball, has two the touchdowns. Ball is hit. <laughs> the ball is hitting him in the chest every time, and he's falling on it every yeah. time at the one. Or it sticks in his face mask. But there, yeah. <laughs> but Larry Scott has like two touchdown returns, and then like has fumbled it twenty times. Yeah. Um, all right. Because of the way their schedule lines up for next year, UCLA will win nine games minimum and maybe more. I'm not doing this again. You know what? Chip Kelly fooled me last year right. where he was like, oh, we're going to be good at the end of the year, and suddenly it's going to make you think that we're going to be good next year, and ha we're going to be even worse through six games. Uh, so I'm not doing this again. But for those interested, uh, UCLA's schedule for 2020 does set up very favorably. Um, right now, here's how it uh, plays out. We don't obviously know the conference order yet, um, but in the non-conference, New Mexico State at home, at Hawaii, at San Diego State. So no FBS, uh, no Power 5 opponents in that group. Wow. Um, and one very bad one, New Mexico State. One pretty regularly bad one, Hawaii. And one pretty good one, at San Diego State. All group of five schools. Uh, then in conference play, they don't have to play Oregon and they don't have to play Washington. Wow. The, so, the only issue is that the preseason, they don't do so well. So um, once the preseason... Oh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm anticipating them losing to Hawaii and San Diego State. I still I, I think even 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 preseason Chip Kelly will uh will find a way to beat New Mexico State. Yeah. But no, I'm 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 in full show me mode on the first half of seasons from now on with 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 our man Chip. Yeah. Um, you, you, I mean one and five in back to back years. Eesh. Just whatever. Um. So no, I don't I don't think they're winning nine next year. Maybe they will, but I, I'm not. I'm not picking it anymore. Um, nine USC scheduling FCS UC Davis is a joke and kind of pointless, as it's nothing more than glorified scrimmage masquerading as a game. I would say I hate the game because they haven't played in FCS schools, but I'd still say false. Like I think UC Davis is probably better than like UNLV that they've played recently. Just they're not, you know, they're not a FBS team. But I think they're better than. As far as UC, UC Davis goes, I think they're better than a bunch of the crappy FBS teams. Yeah, false. And then 10, the new Star Wars movie coming in December will be awesome and a fitting end to the series. False, it's going to be by J.J. Abrams, which means that it will be just a regurgitated mess of half-remembered plot lines from earlier on in his life. Crap. Uh, I'm going to say true because to me it's sort of like pizza. Like, I just want it Star Wars, so it'll be – even bad pizza is pretty good. Like, whatever they put out there, I'm going to like that, that'll just yeah jj abrams is just a uh he's a trash man so what, right, what uh, other movies did he do for star wars uh no he, he's just he's very um derivative um and the thing with the star wars thing is he's so in love with the original movies apparently that he's just decided he's going to remake them 
Um, so The Force Awakens was basically just a remake of uh, original Star Wars. And so I'm very worried that this one's just going to be a, more or less a, a rehash of like Return of the probably Jedi. Return of the Jedi or some oh, crap. Okay. They're even bringing back the stupid Emperor for it. I mean, it's just... Oh, they he, are? He's, oh, wow. he, yeah, he, he's, he's garbage. He can't, he can't write an original story to save his life. Um, and so I don't think it'll be good. I thought, But I thought Last Jedi was really, really good, and a lot of people seem to hate that for... You know, God knows what reason. That was the um, previous so. one, right? That was yeah. Okay, that one was really good, and it was by a guy who actually you know has something to say with. Oh, know, but it wasn't Abrams. Abrams didn't do it. No, Abrams is doing. He did Force Awakens, and then he's doing this one. Oh, okay. Yeah, is that weird? Like when you just have the same guy do them all, or? I mean, Lucas only directed one of them, I think. Oh, but he like did a lot of the writing or whatever. I yeah, he was producing, executive producing. There's a whole story about it. Apparently, his wife had a big role in it, actually, and she doesn't get oh. credited. Um, but anyway, thanks for all you guys do for your loyal listeners. Keep up the great work. Your pals, Hugh Janus, Mike Roch, and Harry Nutsack. Uh, P.S. I've heard Ryan refer to the P multiple times over the years on the show. What the hell is the P? Uh, that's the, the Peristyle is the premium message board on USCFootball.com. So it's like it's been around since like 1996. So it's just the P is where all the USC people go to talk. Um, all right, we have, we're like at the hour 45 minute mark and we still have like 13 questions left. So maybe we'll try to go through these a little faster, which that won't work. Yeah. So this, so this is good though. Uh, old Michael wrote in nominations for podcasts of champions, weekly awards, and a couple of questions. So I didn't watch all the games, but these are my nominees for the coveted podcast of champion weekly awards. These are going to be the awards because no one else made any nominations that I know of. And we, let's do it quickly. I, I let's do it quickly. First, he's right. It's Washington for worst coaching decision. Well, okay. At both ends of both halves. Okay, I like that. Uh, and SC kicking it deep on the kickoff near the end of the half, sure. Uh, worst call by an official, pass interference on Holland of Oregon in the first quarter of the USC game when the receiver fell down without contact. That was egregious. Uh, he made a really yeah. nice play on the ball. Pac-12 officials' inconsistency uh, on late hits and quarterbacks in the game. Uh, yeah, there was some weird stuff in that one, too, in that USC-Oregon game. Bonehead play, uh, Falulao of Oregon getting two unsportsmanlike conducts on the same play when he harassed the, the official after the first call. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you, it deserved another flag, but he was kind of in that ref's grill, and it, it wouldn't stop. And at one, it looked like his arm kind of hit the ref accidentally. But, yeah, I, I could say that would be a boneheaded play. Um, team award to Oregon and USC for trying to set the record for most unsportsmanlike and personal fouls in a single game. There was a lot. Um, three different players got kicked out of that one. Yep. All right, true or false? Tyler Huntley will start at least one NFL game in his career. True. I'll go true. Uh, biggest surprise of the season, so he wants these ranked. One through five. UCLA has four wins and a chance to win the South. USC has four losses. Oregon State has four wins. Washington has four conference losses. Keaton Slovis came out of nowhere and is this good. All right, so we're going from the beginning of the year to now. I th- uh, of the season, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if you told me at the beginning of the year the ones that are the most surprising, um, Washington having four conference losses is probably number one. I would say one, and then Oregon State with four wins, number two. Yeah, Keaton Slovis, number three. Okay. Uh, USC, number four, and UCLA, number five, because I was expecting UCLA to be decent this year. Gotcha. All right, makes sense. Well, thanks, Michael, for the uh, nominations. We like that. Yeah. All right, this is Evan in L.A. Wazoo, meow, growl, and a Stephen Montez diatribe. Uh, okay. 
You asked for soundboard opinions, and here's mine. Keep the kitty meow. It's funny. It's tradition on this podcast. And for a fan base that came up with Kuganit as another way to describe a way of uniquely failing, you'd think Wazoo fans would be okay with the self-deprecation. Honestly, they they seem to be. I mean, I think they'd prefer not to do it. But yeah. honestly, I haven't, I haven't read anything that's like, I hate it. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, now, on to a question. Has there been a QB in the Pac-12 who has regressed as a signal caller more than Steven Montez? He had such promise as a freshman. Uh, back then, I was willing to overlook his occasional boneheaded decisions because he could oftentimes carry us to a victory or two per season. That Steven Montez is long gone. Watching him in person on Saturday, I don't think he understands what a progression even is. He'll focus in on one player and never scan the field. He missed countless reads simply because he never turned his head to the other side of the field where one of our pretty decent wide receivers had beat their man or found the soft spot in the zone. Now, I have no doubts when I look back at Montez's career at CU, I'll think of him flashing his frat's hand signs at the crowd after scoring a touchdown, his decisions to slide for six yards on a third and seven, and the I-don't-give-a-crap look he had while getting destroyed by Wazoo a few weeks ago. Anyway... You'll probably want to maybe argue Jake Browning, but I'd say in his eight-year career at UW, he never got worse, just always <laughs> stayed the same. That's not the case with Air Montez. Can't wait for his era to end, which to me cannot happen soon enough. Go Buffs. Sigh. Evan. Wow. It's got All right. compelling arguments. Um, I mean, we love seeing him come off the bench when Cephalufa was in there and not looking good. I don't know. Maybe it's something about when you get old as a Colorado quarterback. That's what I'm still hanging on to. As as a as a longtime Colorado fan, that really rekindled my uh my love for the buffs. Yeah. You know. Um and he was great that freshman year and he's been worse every year since. Um that's really what it is. And this year is by far his worst season. So Yeah, I mean you have a compelling argument. Flashes, but that's there's too many. There's just just too many bad games. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just the, the check down central. Like, he's just not really taking shots downfield anymore no. at all. Um, let's go to JPN. One vote for the new Coug Roar. The new, Coug, the new Cougar sound rocks. JPN and Shoreline, Washington. Uh, we also got, uh, so it's uh, Futamake, or Meke, Futameke. Uh, UCLA versus USC. Hey, guys. Thanks for the great season of podcast. Two questions. Dave, can you quickly explain... What UCLA changed in their defensive scheme to make such a huge improvement? Sure. Um, basically, it comes down to they've gone more single gap up front with their defensive linemen, which basically means that they're kind of getting upfield a little bit more. They're only responsible for kind of getting in between the offensive linemen. Um, and Osa Digazua and Odua Isabor um, have played a lot more, um, and they've kind of retired a little bit. The um, Those huge packages with their – big defensive tackles who are good against the run, but not at all good at getting into the backfield, which has generated more pressure. They're moving their linebackers around more in interesting ways. Um, they just, they went into the bye week before Stanford and they completely and fundamentally changed everything. Um, and it's a much more aggressive scheme now. Um, but fundamentally it started up front where they removed Moffy. Um, Antonio Moffy was like 350 pounder and just started playing a lot more nickel. Um, so a lot more like two defensive linemen in and then four linebackers and five DBs. Um, but also, um, just playing a lot more of their quicker and faster defensive linemen. And he said to Dave and Ryan, assuming UCLA keeps up the current level of play and USC gets one or two running backs back. How do you think the USC UCLA game plays out in three weeks? Go Bruin, Futameke, or Meki, sorry. I think UCLA wins. I kind of think so too. I, I mean, if, if USC fires Helton, then it could change like the attitude. But the, I think the attitude is sort of like, with, they were they were doing a pretty good job of kind of uh, 
blocking out the noise at, on the USC side of things. But I think now that's gone, and uh, I'm not expecting you know, a high level of play for the rest of the way. Uh, but maybe if Helton gets fired, they get fired up and they play for somebody else. I don't know. But they don't even have like a good uh, candidate for interim coach on the staff right now. So yeah, I'll go with UCLA also. Yep. All right. This is Josh. Uh, let's go Beavs. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is your loyal listener in Arkansas, Joshua. So thanks to Larry Scott and his beautiful brainchild, the Pac-12 Network. The Beavs have only been on real TV once this year against Oklahoma State. I did stay up late and watch them on Facebook against Hawaii as well, but all three other games have been consumed on YouTube cut-ups. It's a shame because this team is one of the great stories of the season. Seriously. They play hard. They look extremely well-coached. And am I crazy, or is Jake Luton a really good quarterback? I think he might be better than Jake Fromm at Georgia right now. He can make all the throws and is pretty dang accurate. Of course, any QB looks accurate when watching a 20-minute highlight reel of the games. Thanks again, Champagne Larry. So I'm really excited to watch them Friday night against Washington, and I think they have a puncher's chance to at least stay in the game and make it interesting. With Washington, ASU, Wazoo, and Oregon left on the schedule, are there two wins in there so the Beavs can go bowling? What do you guys think the ceiling can be for this team long term? Possibly a 9 or 10 win season? Thanks and love the show. All right, so we answered the first part already, but let's take a look at uh, what we have future schedule-wise. Um, for, just on the immediate horizon for next year. So next year, uh, at Oklahoma State, be a tough one. Uh, Colorado State and Portland State at home. So that feels like two and one. Um, what are they all? Where are they on the conference rotation? Do we know? Uh, let me see. I do not know. All right, hang on, hang on. I think they'll play. Um, so they get UCLA, not USC, and they get uh, Utah, not Colorado. So not ideal. No. Um, you'd prefer to have those two flipped. You'd have, prefer to have Colorado. But um, look, they, they look good right now. Um, I could see eight wins, sure. Um, I think nine or ten, you're starting to get up into really rarefied air where you've got to hope to kind of sweep non-conference play. Because there is just a lot of parity in the pack, parity in the Pac-12, um, and they're gonna have to always play Oregon, Washington State, and Washington, which are you know three of the best teams in the Pac-12. Um, but yeah, why not? I mean, they're, they're they've got a decent chance at six this year and year two, um, and it was a year where everyone was thinking they were gonna win three at most. So got them ahead of schedule. Um, maybe this gets some more offensive skill talent, a little bit excited about playing in this offense. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, there's potential there. The defense get better. They got some good young players. So there's potential. Yeah. Looks like, I mean, you're buying stock if you're, you know, with the beef. So that's good. Uh, this is from Eric. He's a despondent Colorado fan. Uh, sorry, Eric. Uh, number 12 in our Pac-12 power poll. So, hey, Ryan and Dave, the Spotted Colorado fan here. I've seen the Buffs come out mentally ready to play once in the last four games and continue to commit stupid errors that demonstrate a lack of focus. This is simply a poorly coached team, and it continues to regress. This is the third year in a row of this for us. Tucker was supposed to fix it, but if anything, it is getting worse. With that in mind, a few questions. I don't know about it is getting worse, but, I mean, you know it's going to be tough. Uh, yeah. One, he says, I don't think uh, Chenault or Montez should play another snap for Colorado. Wow. Uh, as a first or second round NFL draft pick, Chenault simply has too much at stake to risk injury playing out the string for a bad team. Montez hasn't been able to get the job done. And if we're going to lose, I'd rather lose while get it, giving valuable experience to, uh, was it Stenstrom and Lytle? Is it, is it Lytle? Is it yeah. Lytle? Yeah. Uh, they keep watching 
and then keep watching a fifth-year senior uh, make freshman mistakes. Thoughts? Uh, I, I, I certainly get the rationale. Um, I probably expressed the opposite viewpoint earlier, but I get it. Um, I just, you're not really, I mean, I, I think they should 100% get those guys reps. I just don't know if you're, I, I get kind of squishy about this stuff because it's like, you're not playing for anything right now. So why just embarrass the senior who's probably still thinking he might have a chance to make the NFL? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like come out in the first half and if it's just not going well, put the other guys in early, you know, the start of the third quarter. If you're not winning the game, give, give one of the young guys a shot. But I, I think I would still start Montez. Um, and two, do you think the decision to play Montez after the hit in the USC game will come back to bite Mel Tucker on the recruiting trail? I know Montez cleared concussion protocol, but he still appeared woozy. If I was a parent, I'd have misgivings about letting my kid uh, play for a coach who is willing to play a, a guy in that circumstance. Also, uh, if I was an opposing coach competing with Colorado for a recruit, I'd make sure the recruit's parents saw that tape. I don't I haven't heard of like negative recruiting coming from concussion pro- protocol stuff. Have you heard of that? I, I don't know. I haven't heard it, but no, I, I agree. I thought that was bad. Um, and it's the kind of stuff, I mean, Mike Leach did it a couple of times up at Washington state. Um, Rich Rod did it a few times with, um, what was it? Matt Scott. Uh, it's just dumb. Like, don't, do that stuff. Don't take somebody's, uh, you know, brain into your hands by deciding to play them after they've clearly already taken a big hit. Um, yeah. I mean, he still obviously looked a little banged up and uh, whatever their concussion protocol is. I mean, I don't know. Can all those things be diagnosed immediately? I have no idea, but when a guy takes a big hit to his head, I'd be extra cautious. Uh, Um, yeah. So, but I don't know about the negative recruiting stuff. Uh, so if you if you're following along, so Eric seems middle of the road on uh, <laughs> new head coach uh, Mel Tucker. And then it gets a little dark in this one. Number three, jeez. <laughs> oh, the best thing Mel Tucker could do for Colorado football at this point is to sexually harass his secretary. Then wow. the university could fire him for cause without paying his buyout and without looking racist for having a quick trigger with two African American coaches in recent history. John Embry was fired in 2012. After two disastrous years. Anyway, thanks for your thoughts and for the entertaining podcast. Holy crap, Eric! Like, wow, Eric! Don't it, nothing is this important. No, like, yeah, you wow. can't know. You can't know enough about Mel Tucker at this point to know he sucks. Like, I, you still can see some good things. It's years. It's the classic like year zero thing. You know, you're installing your culture and everything, and you really can't take anything from it. Um. Wow, that's dark. Yeah. And he also said, P.S., just wanted to add uh, to my first question comment that playing Montez for the last three games of the season is exactly the type of small-minded conservative idiocy (laughs) I expect from a man who punts on fourth and four from the opposing 37. Now, if you based your entire rationale for wanting to fire him around (laughs) punting from the 37, I would be on board 100%, Eric. That was egregious. So Eric, just come with a little stronger takes next time and make sure you, you pick a side and don't just kind of waffle down the middle. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was a little bit too uh, even handed yeah. for me. 
Uh, this is from Coop. Questions from the Valley of the Sun. Hey guys, Coop here from Sun Devil Source with a couple questions. I saw Arash's tweet quoting Larry Scott's admission of significant errors in officiating and have definitely lived it as a Sun Devil fan. I know you can't answer for him, but what value is gained from admitting this with no demonstrated improvement? Is he jealous of all the coaches getting their buyouts and trying to get fired? <laughs> I don't I, You know, I was in the... So uh, Larry Scott was in the press box. He was speaking at halftime. I went up to check out the club at the top because would I rather talk to Larry Scott or go see what the club looks like at the top of the, you know, the, the press box? I went up to the club. Um, so I didn't get to talk to him. I know Arash Quito, and, you know, I don't, I didn't get really an update from Dan Weber, who I think tried to talk to him too. Um, did you read that? I didn't read all the things. I didn't read it. Yeah. I don't, I, but he did, yeah, there was some headline about me. him admitting that there have been errors and stuff. Um, but, I mean, you can't lie about it, but I don't think they're doing anything about it. Anything no. new. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it doesn't interest me. Uh, two, I've heard, I've read rumors that there may have been a physical altercation between Helton and a player during halftime. A, can you comment on the validity of the rumor? B, if true, how does Helton continue and how does the player come back from that, even with a change at the coach? Yeah, it's funny. There was a rumor about a couple years ago where he they said EJ Price, which is offensive lineman, like punched Helton. And Helton had a funny line about it. He was asked about it. And he's like, I probably wouldn't be standing here if he punched me. Um, he had like some kind of cut look like on his lip, maybe a little something under his eye. I don't know. Uh, it, it looked like he had it before halftime, but it was more prominent after halftime. And he was yelling quite a bit. That might have made it worse. We've heard that there was definitely some altercations as far as like verbal stuff. I haven't been able to, but I've had a bunch of people ask me like, oh, did someone punch Helton? I think it's just one of those things where you just like, things are bad. Let's just assume it's as bad as it possibly could be. Uh, I haven't got anyone to to say that. I've just had people tell me like there wasn't a fight. It was just there was factions on the team, you know, offense, defense, whatever, that weren't happy with each other and they're arguing. But I I just haven't got anyone to tell me there was a physical altercation. Right, and then he says, "P.S. Delta Ute fan lis- fans listening, Utah's not a rival for ASU. You got us this year, but our dominance will begin again next season." That's like the definition of a rivalry, right there. There you go. Nice. Uh, this is. Uh, Silence, do good. Sirs, uh, sorry it's been so long since my last correspondence. I've tried to download Paul Hackett's daily devotional app on my computer, and it gave me a virus. Luckily, my grandson fixed it. If Paul Hackett had a daily devotional app, I would definitely download it. Uh, <laughs> here's what I've learned so far this Pac-12 season. Wait, is Silence do good? Uh, um it's a Ben Franklin reference. No, but is it uh, our group of people that we all think is the same person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, oh, in, yeah, the, yeah. he's in the group. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so here's what he learned so far. Number one, Chip Kelly has an evil twin that coaches until mid-October every season. I think Chip Kelly full-time coaches once it becomes the regular season. He skips the preseason. Those yeah, first he six, skips the preseason. Those first six games. The first six games of the year, yeah. <laughs> Basically. Two, Justin Herbert may beat, down, uh, may beat Dan Fouts in terms of stats, but he has nothing on him in terms of sex appeal. That's a great point. Yep. It's hard to argue there. Uh, three of the Coliseum was a shadow of its former self on Saturday, even for a marquee game. What stadium in the Pac-12 do you think has the best top-end energy? I think it's as follows. He puts Rose Bowl, Coliseum, and Otzen. Thanks again, sirs. Talk soon. <laughs> Is that... That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Husky Stadium, Otzen up top. Uh, then Utah. I don't know. Yeah, there's probably be. Yeah, I think that's a good. Bryce Eccles is pretty cool. That's a good group. All right. 
All right, this is from Zach, true or false. All right, we're going to do these rapid fire. Hey, Ryan and Dave, what a great weekend. UCLA wins in dominant fashion, and SUC implodes. Truly a wonderful Saturday. Let's play true or false. Uh, one, the P has evolved from a USC football message board to an astrology cult that is looking at everything from Rob Stone's tie color to the shape of the moon to determine if Urban Meyer is going to be the next head coach. True. Yeah, I, I go with that, sure. Two, Urban Meyer will be Suck's next coach. <sighs> I think I'm going to say false. I mean, there's a. Ch- I think it's more like a 30% chance, so I'm going to go false. True. Uh, three, Chip's plan might actually work. True. True. Might. <laughs> might. Four, Utah will be able to sustain this level of play in the coming seasons rather than this being the culmination of a few classes that developed especially well. Uh, yeah, I think true. I mean... True, but they got to pick up recruiting. they got to pick up recruiting, but you like... Who did they lose to? They lost to a talented team, you know? So I think they could do that, not necessarily just lose one game, but if there's, you know, they could lose to other teams that have a bunch of talent, even though they coach really well. It's like Dave said, you got to pick up the recruiting game so you can make sure you compete on the talent level, not just with guys you develop, but like stud freshmen that come in and just play right away too. Yep. Five, Washington's program might not be built on a stable footing as we all thought. Translation, they're just okay. Sometimes they'll be good, but generally between six and six and eight and four, false. I think that's false too, but this this is probably going to be the, the down year, I would guess. Yeah, and they're losing close, close games. I mean, it's just, it takes, uh, even as bad as they're looking at times, they're like a coin flip on certain possessions from winning. Um Six, Dan Weber will predict uh, SUC to be 10-2 and two again next year. Uh, I'm going to say true. Like, I, I, I said, <laughs> I mean, because they'll have someone good for a coach. Then Urban Meyer. Yeah, if they have Urban well, Meyer, the last, I'll predict 10-2. The well, the last time they had a job opening, who'd they end up hiring? Clay Helton. And the time before that, who'd they end up hiring? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian. And the time before that, that that one's got to be a really good one, right? Lane, so would they end up hiring that time? Lane Kiffin. Uh, okay. Come to the so FAU. W- so are, are, are those good coaches? Those are not. No. So they did let, they did let someone go. They, could, they, they avoided a disaster because if they would have had Ed Orgeron, why, I mean, they could be number one in the AP poll right now. <laughs> Oh boy! You, oh boy! You, so who's it going to be? Yogi Roth? Who do we think? <laughs> that, he's more an AD. Um, yeah. No, you're the one that said true that he's going to be the head coach. Um, the Urban Meyer. Like, I think they're going to get a good head coach this time. So, I like. What is Jack Del Rio up to? Oh, that's uh, some people like really want him. Like, I think that'd be a disaster. Like, you got to get an experienced college coach. But yeah, I mean, if if USC hires Urban Meyer, I'll predict them to go ten and two. You know, I said they go seven. I'd predict them to go twelve and zero if they get Urban Meyer. Come on, uh, seven. Mario Cristobal being the next uh, Florida State coach would be pretty funny. True. True. Yes, it would be. <laughs> Eight. One non-true OT false. What should UCLA fans make of this team and program? Is the future actually bright? I'm not ready to say anything about the future, um, but they. Think of it as a micro-operation, as Chip Kelly will always tell you to do. Right now, UCLA, you got to just think about it right now, is a above-average to good football team. I know it's a weird thing to say, but they are right now um, because they made some significant changes to their scheme that made them that way. Now, does that mean anything for next year, or was this just a Band-Aid job this year? Um, are they going to go back to trying to run all that same stuff next year? Are they going to come out looking so rusty again next year? 
you don't know. And if the whole thing is they're going to have bad starts to years and then they're going to be much better in the second half once, you know, everyone's feet get under them or whatever, that's not a bright future. That's a whole lot of six and six. So we're still going to be in show me mode, even if they, I mean, here's the thing. If they win out, which means beating Utah, beating USC and beating uh, Cal, then you can definitively say, all right. They've they've figured something out because they've they've actually got a real win over a real opponent now Utah on the road, uh, but if they even go six and six, I don't think you can. I think you're still saying okay, they went five and one down the stretch, beating up on mostly teams they you know aren't great, and uh, we still don't know if they're going to open the next year looking anything better. Um, and they need to jumpstart recruiting, going seven and five and winning the South that would definitely jumpstart recruiting. Going six and six might too. But going seven and five and winning the South really would. Um, so they've put themselves behind a lot by starting out. Uh, Chip Kelly starting out five and fourteen over his first uh, nineteen games. Um, but there's there's room here for them to be good. But I don't think the fu- I don't think you can definitively say the future is bright now. Yeah, I agree with you there. I don't. It's, it's clear as mud to me. Like there could be some really good things. There could be some bad things. I just don't know. And it's. It changes from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. I, I don't know. I, I don't know yeah. what to expect if you're a UCLA fan. Yep. Um, all right. This is from Tor. It's uh, Plashki is the subject. Hey, Dave. My question is for Ryan, but I appreciate you. Uh, hey, Ryan. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Hey, Ryan. With the, the Ducks knitting Clay's burial shroud this past weekend, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, on one opinion of the coaching search. Unfortunately, that opinion belongs to Bill Plaschke. Captain Hot Take has been asserting that with the hiring of Mike Bone, there's no way USC Canner should seriously consider uh, Urban Meyer for their coaching vacancy. I know you mused about the moral implications of Urban to SC in the past. My question is, do you have any sense as an insider whether Meyer is really out of frame because of the bo- uh, uh, Bone hire? Thanks for the podcast tour. No, there's actually some decent connections between... Um, Mike Bone and Urban Meyer, his uh, son is on the Cincinnati baseball team. Urban Meyer did graduate from Cincinnati. There have been some communication there. And Urban Meyer's sister is like vice provost or something at Cincinnati. Uh, I don't think that's something that they hired someone out of the blue that doesn't have any connection. Um, I really think it's going. there's two facets to this where does Urban Meyer want to return to coaching? Um I think if he does, you know, USC is the prime candidate. Obviously, you want to be able to win a championship. And unlike Florida and unlike Ohio State, you don't have the same kind of um, there's not other national championship winning programs around you um, like you have at those other schools. So there's, you know, there's some uh, it'll be a little easier to make the playoff, I think, at a place like USC than if he went to Florida State or something um, where you're contending with uh, a, a Clemson. But also on the USC side. Because of some of that moral stuff, do you have an issue? Now, he hasn't had any NCAA violations. He's had players that get in trouble. That you know happens all over the place. He had more than most. But just keeping a Zach Smith on his staff after those uh, sexual harassment allegations, I think he was just being very stubborn in that case. He apologized, whatever. And, you know, I don't see people complaining about him being on TV every week. And, you know, I don't know. They're protesting Fox that he's been on television. Um, but will Carol Fult want to bring someone like that in? I think it would take people at USC, if she has reservations about it, like, look, you can have your reservations, 
the, here's the reasons why you have to fix this. And there's one name that would fix it instantaneously. There's one name that the rest of the Pac-12 would just have nightmares about if you hired this person. So you have to seriously consider him. You can't just poo-poo it and say no um, and do as much due diligence as you can and make a run at him and see if he would come back. So I think that's what USC has to do. But I don't think Mike Bone would be a, a roadblock for that. Sure. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. All right, this is from Shane. Uh, which team has been the most surprising so far this season? Which team has been the biggest disappointment? And now he and they also asked the, uh, how many whether Oregon State can make a bowl game. Um, all right, so for this, um, I would say the most surprising team so far has been Oregon State. I would say either Oregon State or or Washington. Well, there's also the biggest disappointment. Oh, okay. I don't know if I'm yes. going to go Colorado biggest disappointment, but even though I You had them winning two games. I know, but I still thought they'd be better than this. No, no. Colorado's not the biggest disappointment. I mean, they won a game they sh- they were not expected to win. Um, you know, the Nebraska game. Um, I think people got their hopes up, but Nebraska, I mean, this Nebraska's is right. terrible, by the way. They're not good. Um, but you know, Colorado's probably a little bit worse, and they still won that game. Um, so I would go surprising team in the positive way, Oregon State. Disappointment, Washington. Yeah, two and four in conference. But, you know, you could go Washington State, too. Like, for you look, if you watch them and you watch the offense, you're like, wow, that team's probably pretty good this year. And, you know, the record doesn't show that. They're one and four in conference, you know, it's. Yeah, I think you can make that argument for sure. Uh, or Stanford. I, I mean. But the thing is, I'm doing it relative to expectations, and nobody was expecting Washington State to be awesome this year. Yeah. I did think Washington was going to be awesome, and they were not. So, Yeah, and Stanford I thought was going to be bad, and so them being pretty bad yeah. has not been shocking to me. All right. Uh, let's see. The intro sound, Washington State, Brad in Portland. He says his vote's to keep Washington State with the original kitty sound. All right. Thanks for that. Uh, Brad, and the last one. Oh no, we already did that one. The suicide. Pool. We have two more. Oh crap! Two more have come in. All right, I'll read Scott's. A uh, couple questions and a little true false. Hey Ryan and Dave, it has been a while since I've written in. Basically, watching my Cougs somehow lose to Fuckla broke my brain and ruined college football for me this year. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> So my questions are, with the coaching carousel starting up, I've already seen the rumor Leach would be consider, should be considered for the FSU job, and I would love to hear your thoughts. How likely is FSU to seriously consider Leach, and would he be a good fit? If you don't already know, he considers home the Florida Keys. Yeah, and I think Bruce Feldman tweeted that out, and he's tight with Leach. So, I mean, I think there has to be either Leach is interested, um, and what's his name out there, or so, – I mean – I don't think it's a a zero percent. I mean, I think there's there's a chance here. What is Leach? He's like sixty something now. Is he sixty? I think he's or probably like sixty. Oh, he's fifty eight. Fifty eight. Okay. Um, I mean, he's getting up there now. Where he's probably thinking, I'd really like to see this thing run with some like top shelf talent again. Because um, he was doing that as a coordinator when he was with Oklahoma. Back in the day, but since then, I mean, he's been mostly running this thing with Texas Tech and Washington State level players, and that's not to say anything bad about Washington State, really. He's been able to get some quarterbacks up there, and he's been able to really develop some receiver talent, but there's a big difference between what you can get at Florida State and what you can get at Washington State. 
So he's maybe thinking, well, if I'm going to, you know, ever have a chance to do it big, it might be at like a Florida state. And I'd be really interested in that myself, um, seeing what he and his quirks and everything and the whole deal. Um, but that offense most importantly does at a Florida state, um, you know, what does that do when it's Florida state talent plugged in going against Clemson? What does that look like? I want to see. And the um, good thing for, for Mike Leach is the rest of the ACC is pretty terrible. So yeah. you're probably not going to beat Clemson right away, but you could be number two in the conference and beat a bunch of those teams and win a bunch of games. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I, I, I doubt Florida State's all that likely to consider him at the end of the day because um, it seems like a lot of teams have just been kind of turned off by Leach over the years. Uh, but if they do, I would imagine he'll listen. And if, I mean, if they come after him, I think he'll go. It sounded like he'd agreed in principle to even go be the Tennessee coach before that got pulled out from under him. Uh, a couple years back. Yeah. So um, I think, uh, and he's, you know, he's been up there now for a while at Washington state. It's not like he's cutting and running. I mean, it's been, what is this? His eighth year. Uh, he's been there. Eighth yeah, season. This is, yeah, eighth this, season yeah, yeah. This is his eighth year. Um, so yeah, I think that would be a fair move for him. Um, obviously not ideal for Cougs fans, but um, I, I think that'd be good. Cool. All right. Um, it seems Leach and his air raid will only go as far as the defense will take the Cougs. I personally, I personally am sick of the speed D that Grinch created because it seems to get a little less effective every year and has a hard time holding up to power run teams. My question is, why do you think Leach never put serious emphasis in creating a legit defense to pair with his offense? Do you think it's true Wazoo needs to stick with small, fast players because they would struggle to recruit bigger-sized players? I do think that's part of it. Um and I, I, I do think he did put an emphasis on it. Um, hiring Grinch, I mean, that first year with that defense, I want to say they were like top 30-ish. They were, they good. were pretty yeah. damn good defensively. Um, and last year they were pretty okay, and this year they've gone back to being bad. But I don't know if that's, the, if that's the, the schematic choice as much as it is the coordinator. I mean, the, the plays being called and the feel for the defense and all that kind of stuff, that matters. And I don't know if Tracy Clays was a good fit for it. Um, and Grinch is turning out to be a, a pretty damn good coordinator. Um, so, I mean, he's got Oklahoma now with a decent defense. Come on. That's, that's, that's stunning. Yeah. Um, so I think he probably needs to go out and try to f- hire a big time defensive coordinator again, if he sticks there this off season. Um, but that's doable. And, uh, if he can find another guy like Grinch, then I think they could be back to being pretty good. I think it's just a matter of finding somebody who's a good fit for that. Um, and I don't know if Tracy Clays was that guy. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think, uh, I like the way that defense was playing. If they can kind of get back to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, true false. This is the worst overall year for the conference since 2000. No, I would say false. I I would say false as well. Uh, it could be a good year. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's actually um, pretty good. Yeah, just because uh, you got you got a chance. Like, I mean, they're clearly like the fourth best conference, but I don't think they've been bad. Um, let me see if we can get a. Uh, it's hard to pull up. I'd love to get a rating by conference, but it's difficult, and I don't want to do it right now. Um, but anyway, I mean. Definitely not the worst it's been in recent times. Yeah. All right. Uh, Wazoo misses a bowl game this year. False. False. Clay Helton has a glass jaw. I mean, probably true. Yeah. We, you know, well, he always talks about setting his jaw. 
but he doesn't say what the material of his jaw is. So I, I'm not. I'm going to abstain. I'm not sure. He's got. He's kind of got a gap mouth, slack jawed look about him, which I think speaks to me as a slack jaw. Okay, not a glass jaw. Yeah, and a glass jaw. Well, a glass jaw because if you're like standing there gape mouthed and somebody punches you in the jaw. I imagine there's a lot more potential for damage if you're, you know, not, you know, closing your mouth a little bit more. You know, your teeth have more room to run there right. and, and cause you some damage. He talks about your, setting your, his your jaw all the time. And lips though. and all that stuff. He talks about setting but, his jaw, so I don't know. But am I wrong? He's got no, a yeah. he's got a vacant expression when he's just standing around. He's he's a he's a gate mouth fella. There's a lot of memes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that it? We have we have a text message. Oh, okay. Uh, well, he said thank you or something like that. Okay. Text message. I know Justin Herbert is getting a lot of national attention, but where is the Tyler Huntley love? If the Heisman is for players whose, quote, great ability combined with diligence, perseverance, and hard work elevates the play of his team to new levels, that is the definition of Huntley. His precision. And Chase Garbers. And Chase Garbers. Yeah. He's second to Chase Garbers for sure. Uh, his right. precision and vision is why Utah is 8 and 1 and still in the hunt. Last Saturday was just another example of him toughing it out through injury to bring the Utes to victory. Uh, his presence is the difference maker for Utah this season. What are your thoughts? Ravenous Ute. Yeah, I agree um, in principle, and I think he would have a fair argument in like a world that wasn't driven by dumb sports writers, uh, but unfortunately the voting for this award is. Um, and his numbers just aren't there. Like he, he doesn't have the volume. Um, only eleven touchdown passes this year in nine games. Like you're just there's no way. Um, and it's not like he's running for a thousand yards too. I mean he's run for four touchdowns and two hundred and thirty five yards. Now watching him, his play on the field certainly looks like oh god, this guy's in command and he can hit throws all over. And if if you go and look at his numbers, which I recommend everyone do, he has made such a huge leap in performance from last year. Last year, seven and a half adjusted yards per attempt. This year, 11 and a half. That's insane yeah. to make that kind of one year jump, especially from your junior to your senior year. Like, that's the kind of thing you might see from a guy who started as a true freshman, didn't really get anything going, but made a big leap his sophomore year. But to make that big of a leap when you're just basically still in school for four years and you're just like, oh, yeah, my final year, I'm going to look like, um, you know, uh, NFL starter. It's just that's 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 crazy. Um, he's completing almost seventy five percent of his passes. He's been lights out this year, um, running when he needs to. The best running year of his year of his career too. So, I think uh, you and I both know it. But um, no, he's not going to win a Heisman. No, and he's not going to be even in the conversation. If he had beaten USC, then you, there you could talk. But like you, there's not really a lot of margin for error. When you're talking about a guy like that, so if he was on the undefe- that quarterback for an undefeated team, yes, still no. the The volume is not there. I mean, he needs to have more. But there would be talk at least. There would be you would talk about him more. Uh, I really don't think so. And it's not it's not through any fault of Huntley. It's just that's the that's what they're running there. Yeah. Um, he's a stud, absolute stud. But the Heisman is a counting contest. Right, and whatever quarterback ends up with the best stats is more often than not going to win that thing. But so if you if you throw thirty five touchdowns, you'll have a much better chance than if you end up on pace for whatever he's going to get eighteen this year. So ravenous Ute, um, I'm one of those dumb sports writers that votes on that thing, but there's like almost a thousand people that vote, so it's not like some exclusive club. But uh, to me, I liked it's a regional. Uh, the, the votes a lot of regional stuff, so I try to make sure there's a West Coast person represented. Um, you know, if it wasn't for such, you know, if 
there's a clear number one with Chase Garbers, and if it wasn't for him, I would have put Huntley on my ballot. But I have to put Chase Garbers. Well, no, but how can you even make the claim for Huntley when you've got Zach Moss on the same team? Yeah. I mean, Zach Moss, six yards per carry, 11 touchdowns, 16 and a half yards per catch, one touchdown. I mean, he's been the, you know, the key cog in that offense. Yeah, and you, um, when he was, you know, he was banged up against USC. You know, they, when he's not in there, they suffer a little bit. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, Huntley's been really good, um, but I think it's maybe even like too even of an offense, and it's not as if they're like a super up tempo offense that just generates a ton of plays. They're, you know, it's those two guys generating pretty good numbers, neither of which will get noticed for the Heisman. Dave just ignores my Chase Garber's joke, um, but that's fine. You know. I'm I am so beyond humor here at the two hour and twenty six minute mark, Ryan. Yeah, it's pretty long. Uh, oh my god, my ear is hurting. My ear is hurting from this. From listening to me? <laughs> no, it's from these damn headphones. I need to get a stand up mic. Oh yeah, well I got the headphones on too, but I, I'm using like a regular mic. But um, yeah, well I guess we should wrap it up. Uh, great stuff. I can't believe I mean, we had like thirty emails or something because we got a couple more while we were talking for two hours. Um, thank you, everybody. I can't believe we answered all of those. Hopefully, uh, you guys enjoyed them. Dave, I thought it was good. It was a good show. A lot of fun. Yeah, good times. Uh, four more games come up this weekend. Enjoy. And you can go out Saturday night if you want to because the Pac-12 games will be over fairly early. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.